Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL talk. And just like that, Brock, we're back after a proper round of rugby league and what a hell of a round of, of rugby league it was to reintroduce us to the game. Yeah, it was excellent. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, a different look to the game, which I think was refreshing. Uh, it was certainly a lot easier to watch. There was a lot less stoppages and a lot less replays and room for controversy. The focus was just on on the football, so... Onwards and upwards. Hopefully, things only get um, get better from here. Yep, totally agree with you there. And uh, back to a bit more of a normal structure for us for our weekly show. Set of six to start us off. Anyone, if you're brand new to the fifth and last NRL podcast, set of six is six questions, topics, thoughts, opinions, anything that we have that we want to talk about to start off the show. And number one, Brock, in our set of six this week is those changes. We'll break them up. So, first of all, Tackle one in that set of six, the one referee. After the one-week sample, obviously there's a bit of time to go and they need to see a bit more, but after one week, uh, what was your thoughts on the one referee? Oh, I loved it. absolutely loved it. I love not having the pocket referee standing over it and barking and nitpicking and, you know, the difference is in opinion between the two referees. Uh, I think the, there's a few teething problems. The 10 metres is one, like I thought... At times in games, teams are offside, or at least it seemed that way because they were shooting up and just dominating defensively. Oh, I could have been wrong there because watching uh, through television, you don't always see, uh, you know, because the cameras focus on the ruck, you don't always see whether the team's back the team, but it just felt on occasions, I'd say in every game, there was just parts where there were, I thought, okay. You know, the, the 10 metres is, is a little bit short here, but, you know, if that's the worst thing that happens, um, you, you can just take it. And you'd like to think that that's, that's as bad as those referees are going to be because that's the first week that they've, they've had to be um, sort of thrown on the fire because they've had the two-week notice to move back to one referee. So I would imagine their performances are only going to get better. They're only going to become more accustomed to... Uh, this style, so I, I really liked it. Uh, it's it's another one of those ones. We'll just wait and see how it develops. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like it. I, I can't find many negatives. I'm not going to look for negatives. I, I don't think I can remember uh, a referee blunder on the weekend, and a referee certainly didn't. Uh, interfere with the result of any of the matches. So that's mission accomplished for our referees. 
Yep, and obviously, like you said, we're going to get a bigger sample size as things go. And I said this a couple of weeks ago when people started melting down, all the arguments happened again, all the referees felt differently about it. The one thing I will give to Volandis again, he was happy to say that if it didn't work out or they felt that it needed to change after the season, they'd change it. But for now, they're trying to take back control of the game and the product and get the wrestle out of it or just improve the product full stop. And uh, in my opinion, I agree with almost everything you've just said. And I only add on the one thing realistically, which we've already spoke about multiple times over multiple years now, the touch judges need to enforce that 10 more. I know we don't want to see an influx of penalties again because teams think they can jump offside, but I agree with you that people probably were pushing that, that the touch judges and our full-time referees, I know they probably don't want to nitpick, but they still need to let teams know that it's not going to be fine just to sneak offside or jump early. And if that does lead to a couple of proper penalties and uh, you know things being choked up once or twice extra during a game, well, I'm all for it because you can't just let that run wild and free. But the one referee himself uh, was less visible the game flowed much better. I think, rightly or wrongly, a couple of them kind of interpreted the six-again rule or were a bit different with how much they let go in the ruck, but overall, I was very happy with it. Yeah. I'm not going to, again, like you said, not going to find negatives in it, but I think one or two games I found a little bit uglier or a little bit slower and was gauging probably more so off the first game in particular where I thought Jared Sutton, I think it was the first one of the Brisbane Eels, to me, did the best job of the weekend out of all the referees, I thought as far as how he used that rule and applied himself in that game. Yeah, would but agree with that. Just some stats to go with those uh, two new rules, and tackle two will involve the second rule, which is the six-again call, but Fox Sports posted these up. So ball in play on average on the weekend was almost in play for three minutes longer. The average time in between stoppages, uh, I think it was up 10 seconds. Penalties per round... There was 40 less penalties in that round as compared to the first two rounds of the season. The total six again calls across the round was 53. Total tries scored after a six again, which again proves the point that you will be punished and won't get a slow restart and set your line, was 10. Uh, 10 tries after six again calls, which I think, again, is getting to the point of the whole rule and not letting teams reset and give them away on purpose. Bunker referrals were down by half. Uh, Tries per game was up by almost another try, and line breaks was the big one, I guess, with fatigue being reintroduced with almost three and a half extra line breaks a game. They're all positive stats. I think everything, like you said, basically in there, uh, I'm all for. And again, I think it'll get better and better over time. Um, And I guess that one thing that everyone's called for the whole time, like I guess we'll talk about it more, the last point of strategy changes or how things have changed off the back of it. But I saw a lot of good things that I haven't really seen during my lifetime, playing football, being in systems, now being outside as a coach where everything headed towards wrestle, ruck, structure, picking bodies rather than players and kind of going away from that, what we, or some people hate to hear, the, 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 the football player, a guy that actually is a good footballer and skilled, not necessarily an athlete or lacking awareness or some sort of game sense. I think if these changes stay moving forward, recruitment and development and a lot of things are going to completely change again. Yeah, and in saying that, with the team selections for this round, there's been some significant changes just in physiologically and physically how teams look Mm. based on the way that the game has changed. Yep. Totally agree with you there. But tackle two uh, is the six again rule. So same deal again. One week sample. 
still plenty of time to go, but your thoughts on that, I'm assuming, much like the one referee, are positive. Yeah, positive. Uh, I really like it. I really like that it's limited to a certain number of infringements, which are to slow down the ruck or to give away a penalty deliberately. So I I like that element of it. I, I do think the game... If we keep moving in this direction, the game's going to look like touch football. And that's probably the one takeaway for me out of the weekend was that there was there were some points in some games I thought, this, this is touch football. Uh, and I guess we just need to work out as a game, is that the look that we want? Is that the direction we want to take? Uh, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's all well and good to, to want to to increase the ruck speed and to get the wrestle out of the game, which I can I fully concur with and, and I agree with, but there is that line where you can cross it and go too far the other way yep. and have the game become too fast and have it resemble touch football. And, look, you're going to have that war of attrition in terms of uh, fatigue Um and aerobic fatigue in, in that the players are going to be blowing but is it going to be that physical fatigue um, so it's, it's going to take the faster it is it's going to take the contact out of the game because players just aren't, aren't going to have the energy and the uh, I guess they're not going to have this physical size because coaches are going to move to strip their players down because they need to be lighter and probably run more K's as you said the ball's in play more, we're getting more, uh, you know, faster ruck speeds, more ball in play, so that's going to lean itself to leaner players. So that that's going to have an effect on what the game looks like. So I think we got a little bit of a picture into that on the weekend. I think. And I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. The six again no, rule. No. no. I'm just sort of preempting that. Yeah. I will I, say. I like, it, I like it in its limited. Yeah. Capacity. I still, there are a few times there where teams got six again, and I thought, no, nah, they'd really like a penalty there. Yeah, they want to kick a penalty goal or do whatever. Uh, yeah, well, it could could have just been situationally. You know, they've just defended two or three set. Like the Titans were one, and look, they were nowhere near the Cowboys. They were never going to win that game. But there was a point there where I think they defended four or five sets in a row on their line, which was really impressive. And then on on play one or two. They were just getting melted in, in the in the corner and they gave away, Cowboys gave away six again, but it didn't really matter because they they were they yeah. controlled the position just of the field because the Titans were in a corner. Teeing off on them. They were, they were controlling the, the ruck speed because they were dominating defensively and the Titans were so fatigued. So yeah. that was one where situationally, if, if there was a choice between the touch. six again, and, yeah, you'd sort of stop and... Um, and like to kick for touch and reset, but I guess that's what they're trying to get away from. They're trying to yeah. Uh, uh, but, but I just think it's an unfair advantage for a defensive team to infringe and then still maintain their defensive dominance, regardless of the fact that they've infringed. If that makes sense. So, well, I get this this point you're making kind of goes back to the point I made, which made the rule a grey area before we got the explanation, where I basically said. To your point, if I'm coming out of yardage and I've just defended 
three or four sets and we're getting melted and they're offside and someone slips up, I want the moment to stop, kick for touch, get out of there, get out of a corner or get out of that one-out situation. But at the same time, can you make a rule purely for inside the attacking 50, which is a bit of a grey area because generally rules apply no matter what part of the field. So I, I kind of liked the six again call more for the attacking 50 more so than the defensive 50 where you're coming out of red because to the point you've just made, if you've been melted for four or five sets and you're lacking energy and you're struggling to get out, if they infringe, whether it's something minor or laying in a ruck, of course you want that stoppage. You want to regather your thoughts. You want to kick out. You want to get out of yardage. I, I can see why they've tried to get it out because all those extra penalties and stoppages are what, again, hinder somewhat and, and the game. The smart coaches are going to be telling their players that you can make, particularly when you're dominating defensively, if you're going to give away a penalty, just make sure it's a six-again penalty. Yeah. And they'll have the criteria around what that is, and they'll say, look, if you're going to infringe, do this. Yeah, rather than... They're not going to be able to keep the touch. Knock the ball out and have a stoppage of play or an offside call where no, it's well, not a stoppage. The ball out, knock the ball out is going to be yeah. uh, an actual penalty. And that's what so, I mean. Don't do those things. Don't knock the ball out. Don't be offside, head highs, all those things you're going yeah, to constitute. Don't, nah, like, yeah, if, you, off, if you're yeah. going to go hand on the ball, or we're going to lay in there because we're just melting them and they're flat. We're fine with it for a set if we've just controlled. Think, yeah, well, well, no, I don't think I think you're going to be fine with it late in the tackle count, but particularly on play one two. Yeah, it doesn't. Really, what's an extra two tackles when you're dominating anyway? Yeah, and in particular, and I think the Cowboys look to me like Paul Green's really nailed that side of it. Like they they look to me as though they were going to be very very happy, particularly when the Titans were coming out of yardage to give away. Yeah, they'll bash them. Six agains on play one two. Yeah, and I thought it was smart, well played. I, I didn't really think it hindered the Cowboys too much. Now, now against a better side, no, it, it may well do, but but it, it also came I off. I thought it was it was just an interesting strategy straight away, straight off the bat. The coaches obviously thought about it. I'm going, okay, this is this is the tactic that I'm going to apply, or the strategy that I'm going to implement. Uh, around it, I thought it was good coaching from Paul Green. Mm. But it also comes off what you've just said. If, if you've had a period, which we saw on the weekend, where you've had three or four sets in a row and you've melted them down a little bit, it's almost like a little exclamation mark on the back end of that period of dominance there where you've gassed them and they are struggling, where you might be willing to give it away. Like you said, play one, two or three if you've got them pinned just to keep teeing off on them and really inflict a bit of physical damage on top of the fatigue where they're struggling to find the energy to come out of yardage. It's just another little bit there that you're putting on top. But I think the main point I took out of everything you just said as well, or my part from the weekend, is as far as I'm concerned, uh, I'm sure some guys come back maybe a little underdone or if this stays for next preseason, everyone will be up to scratch with it. But to me now, it's almost a no-brainer that the six-man interchange to me can't happen. I don't think it can happen. Because if you take this rule... And that speed of game, in my opinion, and what we saw on the weekend, and then you throw in this six-again thing, we've been complaining for years that the small man's been taken out of the game. I think we would just be going the complete opposite way and basically saying any real big guy that maybe doesn't have the capacity for big cardiovascular minutes or is going to hurt your interchange or can't punch out 50, 60 minutes, he's going to be completely pushed off and it will be touch football. There'll be more one-out scoots. There'll be more one-out carries dummy half things and just long distance tries from small blokes just carving up big men so we don't want to go too far the other way as you've said where we've been complaining for so long that the small man's been taken out of the game we don't want to go the complete opposite way yeah it's fair 
So I've seen a lot of people already saying six again, six man interchange is the next rule. I'm like, well, I don't know what games you're watching, but as a former middle and looking at some of the guys, there would have to be a huge adjustment and there'd be some guys that are playing right now that wouldn't feature in first grade if that's the way we're heading. Because whether you like it or not, some of us are just not physiologically capable of being that fit or getting to a certain shape or not being that mobile. We'd be wiping out a complete tier of player or style of body. So if it's going to be those rules, to me, the aid interchange has to stay. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, yeah, otherwise, oh yeah, I think we're going... Yeah, you, you've, you've achieved your goal of fatigue through yeah. this rule change. I, I, change. Yeah. yeah, and I think we'll hopefully see it for the rest of this year. But this right now, into next year, with everyone with a proper pre-season, no pandemic, no stoppage, I think we'll see the premium version of this where a few guys that maybe aren't quite up to scratch for this or their minutes aren't good enough, they'll get to it. But I think if we went too far the other way, we're basically telling a percentage of big boys or some style of player that they're basically now irrelevant um, and everyone is going to be playing a completely different way and we're going to go away from structures and shifts and seeing things to break down defences to just looking for the first quick play the ball for guys to take one-outs or scoot sets and just a faster game, but like you said, a more boring touch football, one-out style of football. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to go too far the other way, but I, I think we might have found the medium. Um, but, yeah, to me, it might, I might change my mind across the year. But the big thing I took out of the weekend is I was like, anyone now who's advocating for the six-man interchange after what I've just seen, I, I can't justify it anymore. I think we've achieved what we wanted. Yeah. So that's my opinion on it. But um, I guess, yeah, just... Some refs used it differently. As you said, there was a few games I thought it could have been used a little bit more and it wasn't just to stamp a bit of an imprint. But again, uh, different refs, different way they wanted to interpret the game. Good thing, bad thing, I don't know. But at the same time, all the refs were less visible. So I can only see that as a positive. Um, the only thing I guess we take out of this again with the six again rule, we had more 13 pluses this weekend than we've had in a long time. Part of that again out of a you know a break, it's a completely different circumstance. Some people may be a little bit underdone adjusting to the rules, so I'm sure that'll tighten up again as the year goes on and if it gets carried forward. But I wasn't expecting to see that many games uh, turn into a 13 plus. Yeah, but then when you go through the games, you can sort of see how it's happened. Yeah, glutes of possession. Bruce, Bruce will, yeah, Brisbane were missing some players as was South, so there's, yeah. there's two that don't really surprise you. Three or four. Titans, Titans weren't. Up to the Cowboys, so that's three. Uh, Manly Dogs, there you go, that's four. That you could feasibly, prior to the round, say if that was 13 plus, would you be surprised? Probably say no. No. So how, how many were there? Six? Oh, in total, I'd have to have a quick look again. But yeah, there was like Brisbane game was 13 plus. The Roosters one yeah, was 13 yeah, plus. Sharks yeah. just stayed 1 to 12. Uh, the, the Warriors obviously won 13 plus, but that was a tighter game, I guess. Um, we had the draw. Yeah, I mean that was that's more down to how poorly the Dragons attacked. Yeah, so there's probably five games, I guess. But yeah, I guess with those changes again, you, you see probably bigger possession totals than we've seen in the past. Like in the past, if you went 55, 45, or 60, 40, you'd say that was massive. But in two of the games in particular, I think possession was like 65, 35, just with the gluts of possession they had then the fatigue on the back end for the other team that they just picked up so much extra football. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about strategy changes later in the set of six, but number three, this one's more a quick point, but the artificial crowd noise. 
Um, not finding something to complain about, but some people didn't enjoy it on the TV. I actually quite liked it. I hated it. You hated it? I liked oh, it. Oh, it sounded like static to me. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know whether it was too loud. Maybe. Like, on the Thursday night. No, this is my opinion. Like, I, yeah, no, I'm not I disagreeing. The majority of people that I've spoken to loved it. But I, I found it really hard to watch the game. Because I, I feel as though the crowds aren't usually that loud when they're viewing the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then it's loud when it's something happens. I felt like it was loud the whole time, or at least like that static presence, and then it picked up and down as certain things happened. Uh, so I, I just I found it, yeah, probably, probably annoying is, is the right word. I, I, don't, I don't know. And I just felt as though the, the volume of it was the same level as the commentators where that doesn't usually seem to be the case when it's the crowd because the commentators are calling from the box and the crowd's outside so you always have that distance in crowd noise mm. it's always behind the commentator and that may maybe a little bit deep for some people but the Thursday night game in particular I had to I muted it at one point because it was it wasn't frustrating. Like I don't mind it, but it just it became a little bit distracting from from my perspective. So I, I don't dislike it. Uh, I, I'd probably just say when the game is flowing and there's not a lot, not there's not a lot happening, but when it's just a little bit of end to end and the game's flowing, I'd like the static that just that baseline crowd noise to be probably a little bit lower. Is the only comment I'd make. And then I, I really thought about it and I thought, well, do you want no noise? And I, I certainly am not a fan of having no noise. So I think it's a fantastic innovation. They're probably just going to tweak it a little bit. One it question. It be that my, you know, my, I just pay attention to it more than other people. So I'm certainly not bagging it. Uh, it I just found it hard to listen to it at different points. Yeah. One question on that, and I think I asked you this during the week. I didn't really look for it the last few days. Was it only for TV or could the players hear it? That's what I wanted no, to know. No, the players couldn't hear it. See, for me, that was what I was thinking the other way. I like the idea because it, for some of them, which to me it was really petty, but when people are like, oh, it's weird and that, I'm like, well, I remember doing contact sessions at training. Like, I don't care. Like, you go 100% in what you're doing. I never focused on who was around me. But for some of those, I was just thinking without anyone there, if it was being put into the ground, at, you know, in the heat well, of the moment. It would have been, uh, like, stranger for the players that, uh, 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 from teams who usually have big crowds, yeah, it, it, it would be strange. But for those guys that are just new to first grade, who have played Q Cup or New South Wales Cup, like they used to play in front of no one anyway. Yeah. So for those guys and our younger players, or our our players from teams who don't get huge crowds, mm. I think things would be a little bit more normal. But you know, from teams probably probably like Brisbane and North Queensland. When they're at home playing in front of an empty stadium, it'd be really bloody strange. Parramatta at Bank West, it'd be really strange for them. Uh, but, but for the majority of the other teams, I think they could associate playing in front of smaller crowds mm. or smallish crowds. Well, I must say... If there's anyone who I've forgotten, probably Newcastle as well. Yeah, Full House. I, I think it's probably stranger if you're in your stadium. Canberra. Yeah, but see, Canberra aren't at their stadium. Nah, so when they're rocking. Newcastle. I was going to throw Newcastle in there as well. I think for Parra to run out to Bank West and there'd be no one there, that'd be strange. 
for Brisbane to run out on Suncorp or Cowboys to run out at um, Queensland Bank or whatever the stadium's called up there, that'd be a little bit strange. Going, geez, it's like this is our home ground, there's no one here. Yeah. Whereas when it's just another ground, it's it's probably a good thing. You're going, well, if you were going to play away, would you rather be, there be more fans or less fans? You'd probably rather there be less fans. I will say one thing about the crowd noise. I know it's not there, but I'm absolutely—I liked it. But I'm absolutely yeah. loving the fact that we are hearing more on field, which we get to hear as coaches. And the video we get for like junior reps and all the video you get for NRL has the ref mics, player sounds, the hits. I think it's giving yeah. some people more appreciation now with less stuff going on in the background. Just how physical the game are. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably where my head's at. Like I'd rather. I'd rather listen to the contact and listen to the game. Yeah, listen to the chat. People in rock. And the static crowd noise. Yeah. Whereas people watching who aren't as uh, big a rugby league nerd as what I am probably think, well, I just want to hear the crowd. Yeah. Because I want to watch the game and I want to feel as though there's a crowd there and I'm watching it for the excitement and the atmosphere. So I, I get that. And really, realistically, the TV networks need to cater for the fans and the pure and the crazies not for the nerds like me who'd rather fucking comfortably sit here and watch a game on mute doesn't doesn't worry me at all I'll tell you what I just want to I just want to watch and digest the game I don't need the commentary to enjoy it whereas a lot of people love the commentary and love the crowd noise and all that stuff which I totally respect and I understand that I'm the minority well all I can say is I was all pepped up on Mountain Dew, ready to scissor kick someone to the back of the head when I started to hear all the contact in the first game after all that time. I was jacked. Yeah, it was a physical game. I was excited. I love hearing the hits. It's great. So while there is no crowds, uh, that side of it, I thoroughly enjoy being able to hear more of the contact and the talk. It was good. All right. That's three tackles. The bigger point that ties into those, I will save for tackle six. Uh, but the next two points, more points that after one round, I didn't think there'd be so much drama and paper talk and all bits and pieces coming out. But it's obviously not paper talk because there's plenty flying around. But we may as well get to it. We've got a lot of Dragons fans. We've talked about this multiple times, but it's already come to a head after only one round in the resumption. Mary McGregor under the pump. Should it be fired? How much accountability is on the players? And then finally, uh, not many people like it. The, Good old Buzz Rothfield, but he made a point this week that I've been making for a long time to a lot of our Dragons fans that put it all on Mary, that Ian Millwood in all of this is also responsible. Um, head of recruitment, they've got a retention committee. I know a couple of them fried Buzz on there saying, oh, they've got the committee, rah, rah, rah. But at the end of the day, he doesn't have full control. He's dictated to on a lot of things. He gets an opinion, but at the end of the day, he's not doing the salary cap. He's not doing the contracts. He didn't have the final say on Ben Hunt, Corey Norman, and a lot of these guys, as far as monetary values or whether he wanted them, um, I'm not taking him out of responsibility. Certainly not. I don't think knowing uh, as much as I do or not knowing as much that, you know, he's a top four coach or anything of that stature and he's obviously had plenty of time there now to turn things around. But I think for all the Dragons fans that have more put it solely on him, I've been saying the same thing the whole time. This is not just the responsibility of Paul McGregor. This is the responsibility of some players that are honestly barely playing to a reserve grade standard at the moment. It's the responsibility of shit recruitment, retention, depth, and salary cap management to leave them in a situation where they've struggled to adjust or they're tied into some guys and they've gotten fairly old quickly. And it's also on Mary McGregor as well because as a coach, you need to adapt, you need to change, 
your voice can get old. A lot of people say after two to three seasons, you need to find ways to motivate your side, have people turn up for you and to buy into your message. So I guess the point I'm really just trying to make here is they can't just blame Mary for everything. There's multiple people. And as I said last year, being pro, you know, pro coach, not all the time, like in some situations, but more often than not, they get all the bung wrap. The players really need to have a good fucking hard look in the mirror at themselves after the way they played. Not just because of McGregor, not because of whether they're happy or this, that, and the other, but to any Dragons fan out there, I just feel like that is the biggest fucking slap in the face during this period of time that they get to go back, play rugby league for a living. They were guaranteed 80% of their wage for this year, which is still significant compared to most people out there slugging away. And moving forward, it looks like the salary cap and all those bits and pieces are in place. So the least they could have done for their fans of all people, the most important stakeholders, is have a fucking crack. McGregor's had six years, so yeah, um, that's a significant amount of time. Full clean out, I say. And he needs to be—he needs to be accountable to the results now. If he didn't—if he didn't want to be, um, uh, I guess, if he wasn't in agreement with this roster, he shouldn't have come out publicly and said, "This is the roster that I want." He said that three uh, years ago, though. Well, yeah. And since and, then, he's lost with up and a couple of guys, and there's been some things happen. So. Yeah, but we're not. Like to let Widop go, I think was a good move. Like Widop, he didn't want to be busted for I get that. two and a half years anyway. So, uh, and the thing that people forget, right, when they say, you know, Corey Norman signing was a shit signing or Ben Hunt signing was a shit signing, if you went back and looked and thought, who else is on the market when they made those decisions, you have to then that's that's how you make that's how you judge whether that decision was good or bad. So you'd have to go back and look at, okay, who was on the market? Who did we choose Ben Hunt over? And what have those players done since? Well, they went for that's Cooper Cronk. That's, that's how you would evaluate that decision. Yeah. And you have to do the same with with, um, with Corey Norman, right? And then you've got to look at cap management. And I think in terms of players, I'd find it hard to believe that Mary McGregor doesn't have, you know, majority final say on players. I think where Ian Milward's probably more responsible is how much they're being paid. And that's more often than not the more important role because if you're overpaying all uh, players, then it means that you're, you're really selling yourself short in other areas. And at the moment, they've sort of been exposed with their depth and particularly their bench players. So they've just they've got some massive issues. Mm. I, I just look at this situation and think two two things. A, Paul McGregor needs to make the eight or he's, like, he loses his job this year. Simple as that. B, they've they've really got to they've really got to make a decision around. Is, is firing Paul McGregor worthwhile and who do they then employ? Well, this was the big thing again leading into so this year. The, the, you know, the, the whole thing, Greenberg was the one that was shaking the stick at Shane Flanagan. So he said to him, he can't come back until, was it 2021? He has to wait another year. Now there's murmurs that if they went and made an appeal to Volandis, then you know, they could get Flanagan on now. 
Um, I don't think that changes the way these players are playing, to be honest. I really don't. Look, the players... The the players are damaging themselves and their future value by the way they're playing at the moment. So if there's issues in and around, well, I don't like the coach or whatever the issue is, when push comes to shove... You, you're still your own brand. Yeah. You still, like, like you've just said, you've got a responsibility to go out there and have a crack because people are buying the jerseys and they're buying memberships and at the moment they can't even go to the, the game. No. And a lot of those fans have, have given their membership money to the club and they probably won't get to go and watch a game at all this year. So they've essentially just given the club a couple of hundred dollars for nothing in the faith that the club is going to do the right thing and the players are going to do the right thing by the fans. Yeah. And that performance on Saturday was inept. Like it was, it was beyond poor. Hmm. Uh, I thought that performance was far worse than the, the Bulldogs and the Titans. To be fair, yeah, I think compared to those two, they have a lot more talent, which is my they, bigger they issue. Look, they look like they, they don't care. It's that knock-on so effect. I, I just think now, organisationally, you sort of go, well, there's no, there's no doubt in, in the world that it's the right decision. If he doesn't make the eight, he's got to go. He's had six years. You can make as many excuses as you want, but, but in the end, you've had enough time and you, you're bound by the results, okay? But from a board perspective, they also need to analyse, you know, what are we doing in, to support the coach? How have we let the coach down? What decisions have impacted on the team being in this situation? How much influence has Paul McGregor had on that? The, all that stuff is behind closed doors. We don't know anything about that. So from my perspective as a coach... I think he needs to be accountable to the results, no doubt about, no doubt about that. But there would be things there that Paul McGregor would be frustrated with, and I found it interesting that Phil Gould uh, sort of uh, hinted at this without actually saying it, that the Dragons, he identified things that the, the club needed to do that they weren't in a financial position to do, but knew that if they could do those things, that that would help them get results. So there's certainly things there that aren't helping McGregor or that they've identified that they could help Mary McGregor that aren't there. Um, so that that's another that's another interesting, I guess, uh, I guess side note to this. So it, it's it's really really difficult. I, I totally understand where the Dragons fans are coming from. Oh, 100%. Because to watch, it, to watch any team play like that is just gut-wrenching. And I've done it now for almost five years, just watch my team play like that nearly every week. And it's it's rubbish. And But it's just important to note that it's not always the coach. I mean... Nah, that's all, all my no point. i that Paul McGregor will be working his ring out to get results. And i tell you what, it's, it's, it's a bloody hard spot to standing in a dressing room and know that you don't have the cattle and to think that you're bound by results. Yeah. And I think, as I said... At the moment, based on performances, he doesn't have the cattle. Because you can say he's an origin player and he's... But at the moment, there's not many players there actually performing up to their standard. And I guess... The, the two arguments in and around that are whose responsibility is it to get the best out of the players? Well, well both. The coach has got some... Yeah, exactly. They're that's fucking mutual, professional rugby league players. That's which is, exactly right. That's a, that's a mutual 
this was I guess relationship, isn't it? It's yeah. a give and take. Uh, the coach, yes, the coach needs to provide the plans and, and prepare the team and motivate the team to an extent, but the players have got to be professionals, action that, play with effort and enthusiasm, be in the right condition and put in some effort. Mm. And this was my point last year again to the Nathan Brown thing. You like they've made the right decision by the looks of things, but that playing group looked like they were completely with him, won seven or eight games in a row and were completely committed and doing their jobs. And then suddenly at the back end of the year, they couldn't have made it any more blatantly obvious that they'd basically given up or stopped trying, God knows, for whatever reason. Look, my argument in and around Brown and in and around McGregor are exactly the same. I think they've had enough time. Yeah, and I'm not disagreeing with you. My only thing with a lot of them, again, that were like, just fire him now is the same thing before. The club as well, like all these stakeholders taking responsibility... Why did they re-sign somebody who wasn't in demand early and put themselves in this position again? Yeah. And then you've got the handcuffs of what we've said also when people demanded the firing, and I was just bringing a common-sense approach that I... It's not that I disagree, but you sign him for two years, you now owe him $1.5 million or a million or whatever if you sack him. The guy you really, really want to take his role technically is not available even next year, I don't think. He's not available to 2022. So unless now they can get an appeal to get him earlier... Um, they can't have him. And then the other guy that was floated was Wayne Bennett offering himself back, who at this point, if I'm being completely honest, just seems to be collecting a paycheck. And Demetrio does a lot of the actual hands-on coaching at South. And part of the agreement of them getting him there in the first place was they were basically saying, we're not going to have you more than a year or two because of your age. And, you know, would Flanagan want to be under him for a year? Would Bennett want to go to a situation where he felt like in a year he was going to get punted again? I don't think that's healthy for that playing group and that moving forward. So, yeah, well, the one, the one thing that fixes this is the Dragons start doing games. Yeah, but I, I just look at it and go, look, if, if you're going to go... And the players, the players can put as much of this on Paul McGregor as they want. Yeah, 100%. But in, but in the end, they're going to get the punt as well. Yeah, and like you said, the guys have got their contracts, sure, you're getting paid your money, but you're losing any self-respect or professional uh, you know, pride and respect you have and from your fan base, and anyone there, if they miss the eight this year, of all years in particular, off the back of this break, and with some of the cattle they do have, in particular in the forward pack and in the halves, you won't play Origin, and you won't play well, finals. If they, they lose this week, it, it is going to be panic stations. The only guarantee, I'd say, and again, there's no guarantees in any, but the only guy who's got long-term equity in all those rep teams is Tyson Frizzell. Yeah, as far even as he, even he doesn't set the world on fire at St George some weeks, but no, nah, but he's bent equity no over the years with his know, performance. They've only won two, two of their last thirteen yeah, those against, against the Titans. Titans, and they have four of their last twenty or twenty-one. Somebody else said, and the other two wins were against the Bulldogs and somebody else. I think it was the Sharks, maybe. So yeah. something along those lines. But in particular, yeah. the last 13 were both against the Titans, which, again, you're basically beating up on a reserve grade side. Yeah. So it's not really saying much. But everyone, to me, is responsible. I've never disagreed with any of our crazy Dragons fans, and I love them because they're great. But they always say, how can you say this from area or this or that and the other? I'm just giving you the full rundown. No different if I was a coach. If you had a group that's loaded with talent, or at least got enough talent there to beat half the sides in the competition, and they're just not trying. At some point, it's not all on the coach. I'd also encourage Paul McGregor if he gets to a point where he just thinks this is untenable. Just go. Before you get pushed. That's right. But if I'm the Dragons, and that's seriously the way forward, 
I'm not even try and keep yourself as employable as, as possible because you know I think he'd, he'd land a job in England quite easily. Well, I think Brown handled his situation perfectly. He didn't kick and scream or try and trash anyone on the. He just he realised he talked about it. He speaks really highly of the club still, and he's done well. Does it mean he gets a job here again? I don't know, but he'll definitely have roles and bits and pieces to do in the years coming. Um, I think McGregor, like you said, could be similar. But I, I put it this way: the, the other thing is, they were saying that out of that review that they changed all their stuff. So, and this is this is the yeah. thing. Like, you this, can, I go back to the players. Turn over and, and make as many changes as you want. The players need to do it. They're in the area which needs to be improved. Yep. And if it's if it's that the players aren't playing well, it doesn't matter what staff you've got there. And this was the point I'm making. Flanagan's already there as the defensive coach. The defense is no better. And I'll tell you now, like I've worked on some really, really, really good teams, high-performing teams, where I haven't had great staff. Or there's been there's been elements of the staff who have been inexperienced or, or probably not up to the, the level that they need to be on. But I've also had coaching staffs who have been magnificent and the on-field results have been terrible. Yeah. So, like I said, Flanagan's already you know, there. Like, so it's not good culture and good staffs and, and all, all the controllable elements that you can put in place does not mean you get results. No, you need to look at the whole yeah. picture. Yep, yeah, correct. And in the end, players play, coaches coach. Yeah. Play, the players got to play better. He's already there. If he took over right now, I don't see what the difference is. I really don't. He's not going to bring anything drastically different to their attack. He doesn't have a whole lot extra to reach for in their squad. I think one of the only significant changes that could have been made has been made this week with Adam Clune, who's been the halfback of the year last year in New South Wales Cup. He's a tough young bastard. He's a smaller half, but he's got the ability to run the football. He'll take on the line. He'll hopefully bring a bit of spark that they've been lacking. But whether it's Flanagan gets in tomorrow, if that's the direction they go and they appeal for it, if they're going to do it, do it. But he's already there. He's already got a big influence. He's already working side by side. I don't see how McGregor not being there suddenly changes the attitude of the playing group, which is more the point I'm trying to make. And a 12-month drop-in from Uncle Wayne is not fixing anything either. It's not long-term. The biggest thing I'm taking out of this completely for all Dragons fans is, unfortunately, I think it's time for a rebuild and a rebrand fully of that team. And I mean everybody. If Frizzell's leaving... Jack, regardless, and I'm not getting to that situation of whether he's found guilty, not guilty, I wouldn't re-sign him. Anyone that's been attached to this, James Graham's deal is finishing. He's well past it. He's high character. He's a great bloke, but you can't keep him there. The Corbin Sims thing, I don't know how many years is left. That hasn't worked out. But, yeah, other than a lot of those higher-paid guys, I guess McInnes is locked in. No worries there. Vaughan's probably got a couple of years left, and Tarek's got a couple of years left. But... Like Dufty, you re-sign him, then you don't want him. But now he's playing again. You, They paid Lomax five years, $3 million for somebody who could barely hold a spot in first grade, say so he's going to be the fullback, and now he's played centre wing. And again, he, he hasn't really set the world alight there. Like, there's just some decisions there that baffle me. And this is what I'm just getting. It's not just on McGregor. McGregor's not responsible for all of this. There needs to be a real, real revamp at all levels and in the playing group because there's something not right. So, yeah, leave that one behind. Uh, the Bulldogs situation is the next one we have here, tackle five, and I, I don't think this one needs as much explanation other than the situation was already dire before Pay got there. He was 
inheriting uh, a shit situation, basically, that needed patience, rebuilding, salary cap restructure, get some young guys, develop some guys and try and bring them through. But as in all things, uh, impatience comes, and in particular, the board changeover wasn't a good situation for him because the original board that employed him and said he'd have time and they understood the situation is not the board that's there now. Um, the Harawira and I, Ockenbaugh thing, again, out of his control, but it certainly doesn't help his situation. The best option he has at half is a bloke who's just constantly injured. They're inept in basically all their spine positions and, you know, as far as open market, they need to make a lot of moves this year. But I guess for the Bulldogs, all I can say at this point in time is if if they're going to knife pay, it needs to happen because they're finally in the position where he's done all the shit work basically and had his hands cuffed and had to deal with all this crap and now they're coming into the period where they're going to have a salary cap, they're going to be able to revamp, they're going to try and rebuild this roster and team. So they need to basically decide, is he the coach to do that side of things or are we moving on to somebody else? I don't think that's the basis of the decision. I think it's it's not a coaching decision at all. It's completely a political decision. Mm. There's there's factions there that clearly don't want Dean Pay in charge. Mm. He was appointed by a previous board. I don't think he's had enough time. He's still handcuffed to the rubbish salary cap position that Des Hazel left the club in. And this is the totally opposite uh, position to what Paul McGregor finds himself in, where you know he's had that element of time, and but, but Dean Pay hasn't. He, he hasn't. And like you said, he's the highest paid player. Has played bugger all footy. Uh, they looked good at the back end of last year when they had most of their troops on deck. Kieran Foran then goes and gets injured for New Zealand. Uh, he then loses Harawira Naira and Ockenbaugh. Uh, I, I don't know what more the Bulldogs want out of Dean Payer. Oh, I still think when you watch them play, as ugly and as hard as they can be to watch, their their effort is always pretty good. Yeah. Uh, they just don't have the troops. Simple as that. Like Lachlan Lewis and um, Cogger in the halves. What really? Mm. Dallin at one. You know, like yeah. I'd... Neither the, the key position players aren't great. You know, like, and that's no offense to those guys. They're playing first grade. They're you know, they're, they're quality players, but... Uh, yeah, they're not winning there's finals. There's no stars in, the, in that side, is there? Like, Josh Jackson's a star. Mm. But realistically, you look across that roster and that roster is getting the results that you'd expect from it, regardless of who's coaching it. Yeah, 100%. And that's so why... Let him, let him either, either say that he's the man to carry the club forward... Yeah. ...or flick him... But don't flick him and, and hit at results. Yeah, that's bullshit. Flick him and be honest as an organisation. We want to go in a different direction. Because we want to go in a different direction and we don't think... We don't want Dean Payne being the coach. And that's more the point I was getting Easy. at. Forget the results. They need to look at it and go, well, okay, forget the board thing. All his principles, his culture, what he's doing right now, with all the money we've got coming and the style of play... Something. That's the club. Yeah. The and club, it, you've got to have one, one direction. You need to be... United and connected. Yeah, I think they're a pretty connected club at the moment. Like they seem to be getting those decisions seem to be from CEO down. Mm. Like he seems to have support in all those decisions. So it's pretty straightforward. Do we agree with his coaching philosophy, style, culture, and the way he's heading? The style well, we don't of know it. Well, they we, do. We That's my point. But, but from what I know and what I see, a I don't think he's had enough time, and b I think the football side. Is doing as much as it possibly can. Yeah, I completely agree with you. But I'm, what it's got. 
if they're going to knife him, though, and you're hearing all this stuff, it has to be based off that, not, you know, results. Because as we said, he's been handcuffed the whole time and they're finally free to spend some money. I think they've landed a good player in Luke Thompson, but they're going to need more than that. But if he's, yeah, if, if he's know, not like going to... They punted Des Hasler and they got paid to do the job that he's doing. Yeah, that's my point. So they need to and decide... And I'm moaning about that. So, I, yeah. I, yeah. See, the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs were never like this. The, the Bulldogs were never like this. They, they, they were never this dysfunctional. I guess they've always been this political because there's always been those factions and, you know, they're the family club and for people outside those um, connected families with the Bulldogs, I guess there's there's always been difficulties in, you know, getting within the inner sanctum and into those higher positions, but they've never been this dysfunctional where things are played out in the media and um, they've always been strong and they stick with their people and, this to me seems uh, really out of character. They've, they've certainly changed as an organisation. Would be my comment that I would make. And if they moved away from Dean Pay, I, I would be shocked. Mm. I'd, I'd be really shocked. And the same question as the Dragons is: if they do, who is the person you want in control with a free salary cap and spend? Who's going to be able to get players over and take things in a direction where you think you want them to go? also is, is if that coach is coaching the team this weekend is he going to get a better result or better reaction out of the team than what Dean Pay is if the answer is no then there's no need to make a coaching change mm. so again I don't know and who that's why I'm hitting at I think it's political mm. I think they want him out because yeah like the political factions that are within that club yep so that, that's you know I just thought it was weird out of everyone uh, yeah the result wasn't great but we, we know the situation we know the situation. So for for all the yeah, and he hasn't been able to spend a fucking cent. He's been picking up dollar dazzlers or someone who's willing to take a free or anything to patch it up. And they've had guys, you know, having a crack and making an effort that seemed to be having a crack for him. Well, so. he hit on he hit on Harawira and Ira. One hundred percent. You know, had to sack him because he he was a dickhead off the field. Like that, that's not pace. No. Nah. Well, and any of the signings have had made, like we said again, they've had to be made on a lower tier decision of this guy's got yeah. potential or we can get something because they just haven't had the room to do so. Yeah. So it's yeah, like you said, it's it's a political the decision. Foreign de- the foreign deal's not his deal. Nah, that was uh Des Hasler hand grenade special on the way out the door. Yeah. So they just need to look at that side of it. Like all those bits and pieces, like you said, that we can't see, is that the right person moving forward? to spend the money and reshape this side. And if we don't feel that way about it, who are we getting? And much like the Dragon situation, two guys I didn't mention or one more thing on that point is they've always seemed to have a ex-player or somebody come in, but for, even on the Dragon side this time around, there's Craig Fitzgibbon who's been mentioned, Nathan Brown to come back, Trent Barrett, etc. I don't think that's the right thing for the Dragons this time around either. I think they I, need I to... Do. I, I think... Um, Fitzgibbon. Craig Fitzgibbon would be a fantastic... Signing, in my opinion. Well, I'd go him before I'd go Barrett or Brown, but yeah. Oh, I wouldn't be going back there. No. No, nah, but for the, for the for the Bulldogs, the, you know, the family club and pays part of the the fabric or what was there previously. If they were going to reach in that direction, who who are they getting? Like Holbrook was a person who was linked to it originally, and I thought he would have been a great signing if that was the way. And he obviously took the Titans job, but as far as who's out there right now, uh, the same old few kind of names have been mentioned. And you, you, you could people could throw up a Tuvi or they could throw up an Anthony Griffin, but they've all been on the, the roundabout before. 
Um, I don't I, know. I honestly think. I, like, who are you getting? I think, Wayne, I think Wayne Bennett will get the job. You reckon he'll take the Bulldogs job with I want I, him? I don't, I don't know why. That's random as. I don't know why. <laughs> I just. It seems to me that, that, that that's just the inkling I have. And I have no information around that. I have no connections at the Bulldogs. And I, I don't know Wayne Bennett. So. I, that's just where I see this playing out because I, I can't see the Dragons going back to Wayne Bennett uh, and I think Bennett wants to stay in Sydney and then you look at who, where are the openings going to be in Sydney and really the only one I see opening up do you really think he'd take that job Bulldogs. what was that sorry do you really think he'd take that job yeah given the Absolutely. situation I think you take any job at the moment because you know South South have already sort of patted him on the bum and said way you go passively and it's it's been widely reported and I don't know this for sure but everyone seems to be saying that Demetrio's coaching the side and Wayne's basically just steering the ship yeah man managing doing all the other bits and, and places I, you know I don't know how true that is and uh, it'd be disrespectful of me to comment because I don't know but if that is the case, if those reports are accurate, then he's got one year to run and he's not coaching as much as maybe he wants to. If the Bulldogs came along and said, we'll give you, I don't know, two or three years and still, you know, a year or two more than what he's got on his current deal. Well, I don't know if I'd want him in... I, I don't know. I don't know I if I'd want him... Cap room to play with. I wouldn't want him in control of the salary cap. No, I agree with you, but I just mark it down now. That's that's my prediction. That's why I think we'll get the Bulldogs job. Mm. Well, again, I, I think, like we said, more for Payo. He was on a hide to nothing given what they'd given him, and it was thought possibly that he'd be given the opportunity once this period came around. But right now, they just need to sit him down and not bullshit, really, or use that shit excuse because he was given uh, a crap situation to start with. He shoveled them through all the hard work and at least got them to show some grit and some fight and some games, even if results haven't been there. So they just need to shoot him straight. They're either he is the way forward or they'd rather get somebody else in to do the restructuring and spend the salary cap moving forward. But, yeah. Last tackle in this set of six. Uh, strategy changes, game style, things relating to those first few points we made because I thought this might have been the biggest point. Um what did you see or what do you think will change moving forward? Attack, defence, you know, all these sorts of things in the game or just, you know, things well, within the, the game. Value, the value of key position players has gone up again. Having two genuine halves who can run the ball and play straight and and pass short and long, I think that Spackfield half, that Spackfield 5'8", mm-hmm. like your Jerome Hughes type player, is now going to be gone. Uh, you saw Penrith, like they had two five eights playing and they, they struggled. Um, I also think the value of a, of a smart hooker has gone up and the value of having that fullback that can just be around the ball and push up and beat a tackle one-on-one in the middle of the field has gone up. So the teams, I think, that have got those sort of players already locked away in their roster are in a, a really, really good position. The teams that don't 
Uh, and you've seen the Titans in particular move. They've already moved on Nathan Peets. Uh, and, you know, they're going to have to see some improvement out of their halves. But, um, you know, Melbourne were the one that I really thought uh, were hurt tactically and strategically because it was quite clear that they were just going to set up to the right and then play back to the left a lot of the time because Hughes doesn't manufacture a lot. And a lot of... The strange thing in that game is how much time Melbourne spent inside Canberra's 20. And, you know, the the guys on Fox kept going on about, you know, they've had this many tackles inside 20 on Canberra's line. But Melbourne, and I think Jerome Hughes' strength, is actually attacking outside of that area. When they've got to quick play the ball and they can throw in the ball and just let him run. Whereas inside the red zone, he can't do that. So... To me, there, there were some sides that, that really benefited. Canberra looked to have the perfect sort of mix. I think the Roosters have got the perfect sort of mix of players within their spine. Uh, Manly looked really, really good with the right mix. So I think as the season goes on, you're just going to the value of key position players is, is going to go up, and the teams that have got them are going to be successful, and the teams that don't. I think you're really, really going to struggle. And even to the point where if you've got those players, but they're more passing and structure-style players, they're going to struggle. And that, that's what the Dragons have got. You know, McInnes, Crafty, tough, yet yeah, uh, they don't really have a fullback. They keep chopping and changing in that position. They've done that again this week. Hunt, you know, and Norman are good ball runners, but they, they don't seem to want to run at the moment. Which, they're just finessing the ball from side to side. And... You saw how their attack went. The sad their part is, awful. the one or two times they both engaged the line and ran, they went straight through, both of them. You know, look at the Cowboys. I thought the Cowboys looked significantly better with Bruce Robson on the field. 100%. Significantly better. And it was a huge loss. they Michael Morgan come back. Clifford was, he was okay. He was better. But, he was better. You know, Morgan, Morgan's going to come back into that side. Um, Holmes and, like, Reese Robson, it... The sooner he's got the starting nine on his back, the better for them. And we've been saying that about Granville. I think he's been a slow decline for for Granville. Um, and, you know, I think Brisbane, Para, they've got, you know, decent plays in, in those positions. Again, Brisbane need to see out of Milford and Croft more run. You know, you saw Croft's try. It's, it's the run. It's the ability to get over the ad line, play straight, play square and have numbers around him and that just opened up that space. I think the halves that have done that predominant uh, amount of passing have now probably got to flip it. They've got to do more running than what they do passing and the run is going to open up the pass. Milford Um, did nothing the other day. He was just completely absent that game. The halves also need to understand that they can bitch and moan as much as they like about slow rucks but there's times in games where they've got to generate the run. Just run. Themselves. Have a poke, see what you can do. So, yeah, they, they were the, the real changes that I saw out of the round. Uh, and I just think defensively, you need to be fast and you need to be dominant on play one and two. That, and that, look, that's been the game for a long time. But, you know, there's a lot of dancing now happening up top. So a lot of the contact now is going to be to hold the players up and then to try and hit, stick, and then drive. And that the time where you've secured
secure the ball, the defensive line can retreat, and then I can drive the player backwards, you're actually going to gain um, yardage and you're going to have to, your defensive line is actually going to have to retreat less. So that's sort of where I think that's going to go. And the, just that emphasis on those early tackles is going to be huge in terms of trying to slow that ruck speed down on those first few tackles. Because you saw, like, once, once teams got a roll on on those first few plays, that's when you saw the six agains and, and teams just rolled all the way down in the red zone. Yeah, they just rolled upfield so easily. The other, the, other, the other thing I noticed is not as many yardage kicks, which was just interesting because, you you know, you just think, well, with the six again, that's great because we're going to get more attacking footy, but it also meant that you didn't have a lot of long kicks. So I think it's going to change the role of the fullback a little. Yeah, there was a lot less kick reception in return for the fullback. Yeah. They were kind of, well, not taken out of the game, but it was very different because it was a lot more... There was a lot more bombing. Attacking kicks. Positional kicking, yeah. So there was not much returning or opportunity for set start. Like, wingers probably had the better of the carries nine times out of ten off the ruck there rather than the fullbacks getting to bring it yeah. back. But um, I saw what you saw. Probably the one for me that stood out, and it was only in one game in particular that really stood out for me. Interchange plans are all well and good, and they were more important with the way the game was prior. But from what we saw on the weekend, you now have to be able to adjust on the fly. And Brad Arthur, his interchanges on Friday for me were outstanding, and Seabold completely fucked his. Like, there's no other way to put it. He stuck to a plan, and I thought he didn't adjust at all, given the fact they were gassed. They had a couple of injuries. Um, you know, he burnt two or three quickly, just 10 minutes before half, and then he burnt another two or three that were definitely planned 10 minutes into the half, whereas Parramatta, because they had dominant periods of possession and their forwards were fresh and they had those big gluts and they were well-rested, he just let Paulo run himself out for the whole first half and then played him for 15 of the second and pulled him off. And I just looked at it and thought, that that's not a plan. That's He would have had an outline, as we always talk about. You've got two middles, maybe a utility who can play in the backs, and in the forwards or an edge player that can cover that and maybe one utility who covers hookers and halves or whatever. But he he adjusted on the fly. He's like, we've been that dominant, we're going. I'll, I'll bank a few of these. Whereas I looked at Brisbane and I thought, well, given the injuries, you've still forced a couple of changes there and you're fucking cooked. And, and the other thing for me, and I like Seabold, you've lost the game, you've got players injured, Payne Haas is still only young. I know he can play 80, but there was no point. The game was over. Somebody like that, given the injuries they've already got, I was like, why is he still in the field? Like Lodge is back from an ACL. Fafita's not there. Uh, Carrigan, Flegler, they're all young. Like, But Haas, of all people, I know he can play it. He's an absolutely exceptional player, but he needs to be healthy. And there was no point letting him play 80 in that game. So interchange plans, you're going to have to adjust. It's all well and good to have one. Uh, the makeup. Yeah, and that, you need good staff for that. Yeah, the, the makeup of benches. You need to have someone next to you, you know, like I, you know, we had a couple of season ending injuries with some of our experienced players this year and, you know, I, I grabbed our, the, the boy that was going to be our captain, I, I had him next to me in the box because you just sort of say to him, you know, what do you think about this, what do you think about that from a player's perspective? And then, you know, I'd, we'd be miking down and I'd be chatting to you and chatting to the trainers and, you know, around those decisions in terms of interchange plan because... For every minute that a player can push past when you think you're going to bring them off, you can actually pinch interchanges at the back end of the game. Yeah, well, if you, if you dominate... So it's always about adjusting. It's good to have a plan, and it's particularly good to have a plan for injuries. Like, that's the one that I'm, I'm big on, because you can't be trying to work out who's going where when an injury occurs and then trying to coach the game and, and deal with everything that needs to happen 
on top of that. But your actual eight interchanges, you need to have a plan. But the more you can squeeze out of one and, you know, if you get an injury or, you know, a head knock or, or whatever happens, it, it, it can throw those plans out. So you're right, you need to adjust on the run. But that doesn't just come down to the head coach. It comes down to having a good staff and having the right people around you and also listening and taking that advice on board. Yeah. But it's the first real time that, yeah, like you said, we've had to react yeah. in this sort of climate. They'll figure it under out. these conditions as well. Oh, they will. Yeah. But Arthur was straight onto it, and I was kind of a little bit disappointed looking at his Brisbane where I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, yeah. forget your plan. Like, injuries and the reshuffle and that. Like, you need to milk some more time out of these guys, or you need to, you know, at the end of the game, I don't know if they had anything left, but I was like, you just take him off. There's just a few things I was sitting there scratching my head, given the result. Yeah, I've heard a few people comment about the his inner challenges, but mm. uh, I just, didn't look too closely at them. A few more smaller ones. Uh, I could keep. I could go on, right? But the D ones, I saw like you D changes. I saw better, better contact because now there's probably a better, you know, influence on trying to get a good shot and good contact and force an error. And there was more dancing, or as we like to call it, where you stand in the tackle and you probably get away with the wrestle a little bit and then try to cut. The- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com ground um, and then also just defences as the games went on they seem to have gotten a little bit tighter under fatigue there so there was opportunities maybe to shift but everybody seemed so focused off a quick play the ball just to take a one out or a scoot or get back in behind the ruck and I messaged you about it, the Roosters for me I was the most impressed with because not only did they hit better I thought than everybody I thought they danced better, I thought they controlled the ruck better but every time they lost the ruck it looked like they'd already come up with the, the solution that you know, everyone is going to do what I just said and take a scoot or a quick one out or head back towards the ruck if we're on the back foot. They tightened in to the point where I was like, if you were smart enough, you could go an early shift here and you'd have positive space. They just tightened in the next play and said, we need to win this play and we'll just kill that momentum off straight straight away. Yeah, and that's and, why the commentators and the coaches can talk about, oh, why is that footy? Well, it's not eyes up. No. Eyes up footy isn't just running on a quick play. It was just reacting. Eyes up footy is if you got a quick play the ball and they've compressed in, then yep. you, can, you pass around them. And I, I saw it a few times that Roosters game. I thought Trent Robertson, I know, like most, we would give the rap to being smart. But in the time that they've had, clearly, they've they've worked on it better than anyone because systematically they reacted every single time. Yeah. They just went, all right, we've lost that rap. Fucking bang. Everyone tighten in. And straight away it was someone just taking a pointless quick carry thinking there'll be space there. The Roosters just jammed the bodies in and thought, we just killed this play. We'll kill it. Yeah. And they, then they just spread back out a little bit. Um, defensively, obviously, we also saw that with this rule that smarter teams did find ways to isolate players better under fatigue just because the rucks and resetting their lines and, and blokes were getting caught on irons in particular halves or middles were getting caught with short interchanges of passing, which we generally didn't see. Under the slower rucks, we saw more one-outs and more set structure to obviously break down teams. But, um, yeah, that was also on the attack side. More one-on-one tips, short-changing passes, and less just, I guess, simple one-out ruck carries 
um, of blokes trying to fight for the ground or get knees, hands and knees, nines playing forward, halves hitting the advantage line, running like Dylan Brown, three or four minutes into the game, stepping three or four blokes. I was like, this is excellent. We, we, would, we wouldn't have seen this previously because we needed so much structure to break down off slow play the balls and set starts. Like That, that structure was needed to break down defense because everything was so slow. Now we can actually see guys just get onto the ball and try to react to what's happening in front of them. And I thought Parramatta in particular did a great job of that in their game, attack-wise. Yeah. And yeah, there's going to be more stuff, but that's just some observations for now. But um, over the weeks to come, we'll talk about all that more. But that was a huge set of six. Plenty of good stuff in there, in my opinion. I thought that was great. But... Power rankings, we spoke about this before on the phone, Brock. Not going to bring them back for a few more weeks because there's been some stuff in the last day. No surprise, but some people are saying Tom Travojevic is now better than Tedesco and Cameron Smith's no longer the best hooker and Gus Gould said Melbourne Storm are gone and they've been declining incrementally. I don't understand how you can, you know, win a comp, be in a grand final and then be in the top four last year, but suddenly they're, you know, on this huge decline. But I think there's been a few... Huge overreactions after one game, in all honesty. So, much like that with the power rankings, I'm not willing to anoint Manly Premiers after beating the Bulldogs nor the Cowboys for beating the Titans. So, uh, with these rule changes and all those bits, like I said, I respect all those people's opinions, but I think there's been some massive overreactions. So, power rankings, I'm thinking we give it at least a month, four weeks. So, after round six, we get back to power rankings, I think. And let everyone work their way into these adjustments and rule changes and those power rankings will be brought to you by Penrith Solar Centre want to know what's worse than seeing your team cop the wooden spoon this season well it's getting slapped with a rising power bill that puts you on the edge of your seat more than an origin decider Penrith Solar Centre are Western Sydney's solar specialists who are helping local families take control of their electricity bills let the sun work for you your home and your back pocket contact them today on 1820 2930 or www.penrosola.com.au Jake and the crew there absolutely outstanding uh, game reviews box head let's rip through these Broncos Eels as we spoke about 34 to 6 you basically saw the rule changes instantly a couple of six again calls directly uh, three quick ones in a row Brisbane on the back foot they're retreating and then you just see something, again, as, as simple as a little bit of footwork off a short pass to Murata near Cora there to isolate a half. Um, crashes over straight away. Yeah, it was... Uh, Paramount just started fast. They had a heap of possession. And um, Brisbane just couldn't keep up early doors, could they? It was... I think in that first 10 minutes, they might have had eight, eight sets, eight of 10 sets. So they put it... In Brisbane straight away. Yeah. Well, we saw instantly off the back of that halves and hooker runs, Darton, Brown, Moses playing with good width, straight of the advantage line. Uh, in particular, Dylan Brown, I thought it looked really, really dangerous in that new format, getting wide and direct early and hitting his back rowers or hitting out the back. Uh, they really suited the less structure game and just playing broken down play. Those sets in a row, like you said, they just gassed them out early. The Broncos, I thought, did well to be honest, not to be down by more considering. And once they got their one opportunity as well, uh, Croft slipped through there when Madison kind of came up past the ball. But uh, getting to half time, I was like, wow, I think they're holding on pretty well considering. But we saw what we spoke about before this started, which is that if you're a coach, 
early on, you, you're almost not worried about scoring. You're almost worried about a new version of what they call tactical periodization, where you're almost thinking, if we get penalties, if we get possession, just camp the first 15, 20, whatever you can do early on, because we'll get a reward in the back end. And I thought Parramatta did that. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Use that possession. Yeah. Um, to their, to their advantage, absolutely. Yeah, and you saw it in Brisbane. Not only were they gassed off the dropouts and the repeats and all the rest of it, but they started just making simple errors when they got the football back and they were pinned in their own half. Possession finished almost 65-35. Uh, yeah, they were unfortunate. They didn't have a couple of players and they obviously had to reshuffle with a couple during the game, but uh, Parramatta blew the doors off them. Like the line breaks, 23 offloads to five. They forced five dropouts. Uh, yeah, I, I thought they really, really suited the style. Gutherson had a field day on that left-hand edge. The halves were in control. Brown looks ultimately more dangerous with these rules. Reed Marnie off that surgery to come back and play almost a full 80. Paulo's first stint was huge, and I thought both their edges, Lane, Madison, were great, and, and Murata playing lock made a real good impact as well. Yeah, it was good. Um, Parramatta, good. Brisbane, uh, again, you just... The one, the most important stat in all of this is the possession stat you just went through. I think it was the second lowest in NRL history, and the only the, the lowest was their semi-final against Brisbane last year. So, oh. the last two times they played um, the Eels, the Broncos have had the two lowest amounts of possession in a game ever in the NRL era. Yeah, and like you said, they're going to get back for feeder. They got to get that pen guy. Uh, Glenn had a bad leg cut. Not sure. If he's back this week, but they, they need all the forwards they can get because at the moment yeah. with those injuries, they've got a few young guys they're relying on. Milford needed to do more. He was an absolute passenger in that game. Um, and I, I know we all love Katoni Staggs, and I do too, but for some of the positives, there's there's still some brain snaps or aggressive moments like the, the stiff. Well, he's missing this week, isn't he? I think he'll suspend it. Yeah, well, stiff arm, or he'll jump in, or he'll just do something where I'm like, that, that might be out of frustration, but it, it needs to disappear, and it needs to disappear fast. Yeah. He's a hell of a player, but he can't play two or three games and then be suspended every couple of weeks, especially as a centre. Um, yeah, agree. Lodge will get fitter. Haas, like I said, he's next worldly. He's honestly ridiculous. And um, We mentioned it after the first few weeks, but Pat Carrigan, if he's not playing Origin for Queensland at the back end of the year, I'm not here. Yeah, he will be. Compared to Napa and a few guys that have been getting jerseys the last few years, your Wallaces and that, that honestly probably don't deserve him. Between Flagler and in particular Carrigan, I think Carrigan's an absolute shoe in whether it's I don't know I don't know what number, but he's on my bench absolute minimum. Yeah. He was great. Cowboys Titans, thirty six to six. I honestly thought some of the changes to bring in some more of the younger guys again was a positive. Send a message to some of those older blokes. Uh, as from the Titans perspective, I thought energy and effort early. They were there. Um, but again, the, the, some of the guys that you thought needed to come up with a play like Ash Taylor's set finishes or a couple of those guys not making errors, made errors at critical times. And when they got that sin bid period there, when they were kind of even in that game, um, they needed to bank on it, and they didn't. Well, that was the game. The Cowboys survived that period, didn't they? Yeah, that was the game. The the Titans were in it up until that point and then just shit the bed during that period. You you nailed it. There were two things that really hurt the Titans, not taking advantage of the sin bid, and not getting to their end of sets right. Their, their end of set kicking was fucking terrible. And I felt bad for Fogarty because you're talking about a guy who, he's a good player and he's been in lots of systems, but he's been slugging away looking for an opportunity for two or three years at Burley and winning comps there. 
and all of a sudden after this break, he's been throwing the keys to a side that's not going well, and he tried his ass off. I'll give him that. But it's a ridiculously hard situation to bring somebody in and go, if I can lead this side around. Yeah, and particularly when, you know, they only really had Jai Arrow and Fodawaka going forward. Yeah. No one else was going forward for the Titans. Moiaki, he's a gun. I can't believe he's still only 20. That, that, that's one real shining light for them. Yeah. But other than that, like, Cowboys, super impressive. They ran away with it late. Um, I, don't, I really don't know what to make of the Cowboys yet. No, I'm, again, I know a lot of people got excited and the commentators got revved up for this one, but again, it, it seemed like a lot of it came off the back of Tal Malolo. I know I love Drinkwater. He's a quality player. Um, I will say one thing, though. Some of those cutout passes and firing the gun very dangerously down that left-hand edge. Pearson almost took him to the bank a few times, and it could have gone the other way, but ultimately, as a Melbourne fan, I said it to you, I wish we would have kept him to play as a half because he come through as a half. Right now, in particular, with the way the rule changes have come through, if we would have just held him and played him in the halves and now have had him, Munster, Pappenhausen, I'd be feeling a lot better about Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but watching him for the Cowboys, he's a good player. I think Clifford suited this style better. It was one of his better games in kicking, but again, uh, it was against the Titans. Holmes, some good touches, but I want to see it against better opposition. I think for them... They still were a little bit too sideways, and I don't think all those moves or they were still a bit structured would work against a lot of other sides. I think it's all well and good beating up on the Gold Coast, but that they were still a little bit backwards coming forwards for me inside 20. And Tom Malolo's got a bruised knee, and he's out this week against the Sharks. And the Sharks were hot and cold last week against the Tigers, but if you tell me straight away that Tom Malolo's not playing for the Cowboys, they drop a massive peg straight away for me. Agreed. So, I also just think they're going to get Robson in to play nine. 100%. Nine. He's physical. Um, he's a great runner. He's more creative. He, he, he takes advantage of the, the speed. 100%. The play the balls that Tom Malala provides. He gets over the advantage line regardless, and he, he's willing to get physical. If, if he's running, he's running. And he's also more manipulative around the ruck. I think he understands how to work that kind of corridor better as a nine, whereas Granville has basically always been dish or run, plain and simple. There's not a whole lot of manipulation or style to the game. And when the Dragons let him go, it's to say the same thing at the time. Like, he's got the ability to me between the two of them, where we've seen McInnes be more of a tackling machine. I would have been more inclined to keep Robson and play both of them and kind of do what Penrith did for a period there of Seguiara, where you kind of have one that might move into a lock position and keep tackling, but you almost play dual nines. Um, I, I think they've really let a good player go. So for the Cowboys, they, they look like they've found. A really good find there. Uh, Maguire and McLean, I think, backed up Tamalolo well in this game. But again, uh, they're going to have to do a much better job this week without Tamalolo. Yeah. So, uh, tight situation. Foot awake a lot, we said. Excellent. But for Holbrook, where's he goes from here? I don't know. Um, he's dropped a few more players this week out of the side completely, which we'll talk about later. But, yeah, mo- moving forward, you want to get people in, but... Again, how do you get people to want to go there if things aren't trending in the right direction and for the right reasons, not just for money? Like, Big Tino's going from Melbourne, and I'm disappointed he's leaving, but at the same time, when you hear the kind of money that was thrown around, I, like, yeah, I, I, I'm not really that disappointed because I, I don't know how good he is yet. But for them, I hope he goes there motivated and he turns into a hell of a player. But, you know, there's word that Peachy's going to go now mid-year back to Penrith. 
Ash Taylor, I don't know how you turn that around. Like Proctor's off contract, I wouldn't be keeping him. Pizza's off contract, I wouldn't be keeping him. Boydie definitely didn't suit the rule changes. Wallace, yeah, and then Ryan James off an injury. Like, there's a lot of decisions to be made there for Holbrook. Yeah, agreed. Um, he's just going to keep rolling it over and just work out who is and who isn't and weed his way through it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, next game, Roosters, Souths. Uh, to me, like we spoke about just before, the best defensive effort of the weekend. I know the Canberra thing as a whole and the scramble and defending inside 20, like, yes, that was outstanding. But I think as a whole defensive effort for the 80 minutes, I think the Roosters showed that they're already on board with the rule changes and how they're going to defend and some slight adjustments in their system. Uh, they're absolutely outstanding. Good contact in on numbers, getting to the ground late. Um, you know, any of those lost rucks, like I said, they tightened up and have already kind of figured out what people want to do. And then probably the summary of their night defensively, that, that uh, the Morris play, Brett Morris, making the double effort on the chase and then cleaning up the kick in behind. Um, again, I know, I know no one wants them to go three in a row, but if they tick the boxes, they get through the year and they get to the finals again, there's nothing that says that this team uh, can't challenge for another title, that's for sure. big area we can say uh, like Flanagan's still got a lot of improvement he's not Cooper Cronk but Luke Keery's definitely come more to the forefront they've got two good number nines I thought Friend actually surprised me how well I thought he looked in this system but Verrills suits this setup as well Radley seemed to have a bit more of a hands on role like he come through the juniors playing six lock nine so he looked like more of a link player to help out even more um, so they're doing everything they can there until Flanagan's more comfortable and at the same time, it's still a very, very good forward pack. They've got the right forward pack for this style of game. Josh Morris coming in there, plugs a hole with a couple of injuries they've had. And again, a lot of people got a stiffy over Tommy Turbo's effort on the weekend, which I can fully appreciate. And he played good against the Roosters before the break too. But James Tedesco is still number one in my eyes. It's, it's going to take more than a couple of games. You need a full, oh, yeah. full red-hot season from somebody to just knock off the best fullback in the world. You don't get to play a handful well, of games. He'll be, he'll be the best fullback in the world when he's got the New South Wales and Australian number one jersey. Exactly. And that, I'm not knocking him. He's, well, whatever Tedesco's got him, he's the number one. And he was he was huge again on the weekend as well. And as oh, if really? this rule's not going to suit him. Mm. Like, fatigue and running through the middle and just being around the football and the tackle breaks you already made in a structured game, throw him into the way things are right now, he's even more dangerous. And another comment, again, like people have said before, about, oh, but Tommy's a better ball player, this, that, and the other. It's like, well, he's demanded more in that system to ball play. And I don't know what we haven't seen out of Tedesco ball playing-wise. He's throwing plenty of ripper passes when need be. Yeah. But he called... I, mean, he... I don't understand 
we're having a conversation about it nah. after one week. It's stupid. It's yeah, it's crazy. And Tom's a hell of a player, but again, just off specky games here or there, and off a long layoff, just to suddenly again after one game and go, this is the best fullback in the comp now. I'm like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, yeah, people it's, need it's, to it's, fucking pipe down a bit when he's won a comp or played a full season and pulled a Dalliem and pushed him out of a rep jersey. Well, then I'm right there with you. Yeah. But yeah, after one game, it's pretty erratic to make a call like that. But um, he had a great game. Tupo again, just going about his business. Cordner being back in made a huge difference for them. He was massive. That's that's yeah. He looked fresh too. I've seen Boy Cordner play since probably Origin. If anyone needed that break, like not just because of the two big years and all the rep football, I think that really, really, really helped him and. Um, like I said, Tokyo didn't even play last week. So there's another guy, Orbison, another utility option there. And, and much like last year, I still didn't think they really broke out of second gear in that game, to be honest. I really don't. They uh, they never felt like they were going to lose it and they were in complete control, but I don't think they had to get close to top gear to beat Souths. For Souths, I have the same problems I had before. It's all well and good to say that this rule is going to suit Cook and these kind of guys, but you need the middles to go forward. He forced his runs. He didn't have momentum. They struggled. Like, like Tom did an okay job, but again, he's got limited minutes. Between Amone, Totola, these guys, they have a crack at night, but Murray's got to play in the middle. I don't care what anyone says. I, I'm going back to it again. He's not an edge. He is an edge, but in a team that has the weapons to roll. He has the quickest play level in the comp. He's got footwork. He's got a pass. He's quick across the ground. He can take advantage of space. Like This new style, he needs to be in the middle. Um, if you don't have the middle rotation, well, then you need to figure out a way for him to play middle to start. And if you're worried about him burning out, then you roll him into an edge. Whether that means, I don't know, Knight starts in the back row. Or if he starts at prop with Totola or Jordan, you bring Tom off the bench with Mago when he's back for an impact. Or Lowe starts in the back row and rolls in the lock and just does some dirty. I don't know what you do. But Cameron Murray is either playing... 80 minutes every single week in the middle, and if that's a big concern otherwise, he gets a small rotation somewhere there into the back row. I don't know what you do, but I just don't think they've got the middles. And it doesn't matter how good your nine is and your one to seven like we talked about, you can have a bunch of Ferraris, but someone's got to get the momentum going for you to get those players involved. Yeah, look, I think they'll get better, but I've got huge concerns. Outlined last week in our preview. Yeah. Mitchell's still learning one. It wasn't his worst game. It wasn't his best game. Cool. Yeah. There was nothing get, nothing doing, no real space for him to get out, and there was no Cody Walker. So, and Adam Reynolds, um, he, he was okay. So, yeah, he, he was quite considering. He talked a lot at the start of the week about the hatred and hating the Roosters. Yeah, so, he was just he was just okay to me. They so. definitely missed Cody. Cody would have been very well I'm suited not, to running. Yeah, he's he's going to make a better team. Yeah. Uh, you know the one who keeps improving for me and again I think people forget he played his debut game as an 18 year old I think this is year 3 Campbell Graham uh, he was already very very good but just the carries the carries and the physicality um, in a couple of years whether it's wing or centre he's definitely he's going to be rep calibre if he keeps going the way he is yeah good footballer uh, Tigers Sharks weird game really enjoyed it but dreadful start for the, for the Sharks couldn't have asked for a worse start um, you've dropped the ball, handed over a free try, and then, you know, off the back of only defending, I think, one set and being on your line, you've got a back rower who five minutes into the game in Nakora doesn't tie in. Brooks runs straight into the space, tips it back into Harry Grant, and I'm thinking, oh, no, 
We've talked about these guys being underdone and not healthy and Fafita pulls out, Sherry's thing during the week, Dugan's playing his first game, all these questions. I'm thinking this is going to be a blowout. They're in big trouble. And then before you know it, they spark up. They smash that left edge that we talked about, which is poor defensively. The Tigers right, Lay Lewis, Benji, Wade Graham's just giving the football and puts on a clinic ball playing, creating a two-on-one, putting a kick in behind in open space, getting repeat sets and... They drag themselves back to 16-0. Should have scored another try that they absolutely bombed just before half time. But then again, in the in the second half, they come out and they start exactly the same way. They can't hold the football. They were disgraceful defensively. They give away one of these softest tries you've seen off that dropout effort where Nofaluma just runs straight through them and scores. Um, and in the second half, they just never gave themselves a chance. They missed... I think it was close to 50 tackles or 50 over um, tackles that they reshuffled during the game to get Moylan on, which I thought was weird and had him in the middle and a fullback and then Townsend went off it. All signs are not looking good for the Sharks. No, they're not. A lot of distractions for them off the field, but they were poor. West Tigers were okay in patches. Uh, in particular for the Tigers, Luke, the former Luke Brooks, Outstanding. Yeah, he was good. Uh, and then the two nines, I thought, were really, really good. Yeah, Harry had a good game. Billy iced it and brought that little bit of spark at the end. Yeah, they were both good. But Benji, again. Cronulla, massive concerns for Cronulla. Yeah, for Fida, like we said, bold tyre on that knee. Can't rock up for the game. Um, you know, we already know about Sherry. Chad's now I'm out. Sure how, I'm not sure how well Chad Townsend's playing either. No, now he's injured, but he's not playing his best footy. No, and now they're relying on go forward. Aaron Woods, who's not exactly the best suited style for this game speed-wise. Maybe fitness and minutes, yes, but impact, no. Rudolph's okay, but he's still only a handful of games in. Like, There's a lot of pressure um, on that forward pack. And again, thought Johnson needed to do a lot more. Braley can only create so much if nothing's happening as far as the go forward department. Um, you know, Dugan for his first game, yeah, he scored a couple of tries there, but is his head in it? I think they're going to have more dramas injury-wise during the year. They've just been that sort of team, but uh, yeah, I, I don't understand when you have that red-hot period there where everything's happening to the left. They was bludgeoning them. Why did you stop going there? Wade had an absolute field day. Oh yeah. So I, I was confused by it, but. See what happens this week. But uh, for the Tigers, Brooks really looked good in this style. Him and Harry Green have got a good affiliation already. I thought Benji, again, had a good game. But that for the Tigers, you want to make the top eight, which they certainly could. Fix that edge, that right edge. If they don't leak down there, they look solid just about everywhere else. They're not, they're not going to beat up on a lot of these top four sides or the better sides, but they can certainly win half their games and push for a top eight spot. But as long is that edge is just so disconnected and disjointed and getting pulled apart when every team's going to go after it. Um, that's a huge yeah, concern. It certainly is. Yeah. That the needs to be fixed. Yeah. But LIA, he was good. Nofaluma, big game. Um, halves, but yeah, Brooks was certainly a big in for the Tigers and there's some good signs there. McKaylee, Twilight Lock. Um, yeah, be, be more interested against the better opposition. Unfortunately, you know, this week they get the Titans. If, if they're serious, they should they should do a number on the Titans. Um, I haven't looked at the draw moving forward, but I look forward to them after a few weeks of this new spine with Dewey and Green and that and, and seeing them play a decent side. Yeah. 
Warriors Dragons. Uh, what do you say? Eighteen zip. The Warriors, given the situation being over here, the injuries, the reshuffle, they're absolutely outstanding. Um, a lot of people out there have been discrediting to them, given saying it's all the Dragons this, that, and the other. That, that's bullshit. I know I've just kind of gone the opposite and said a little bit about Manly touching up on the Bulldogs, but um, the Warriors were brilliant. Um, I thought the reshuffle was a great idea, missing the middles to then put Tohu and Blair into the middle to kind of patch things up and put you two more explosive young players and Katoa, who looks like a hell of a player we talked about the other week, but wow, he's going to be something special and he suits this style of game where they isolated poor Benny Hunt a few times. Papali'i, people forget, he's only 21 as well. Um, Tohu in the middle, busy, good footwork, short passes, making metres like he was dangerous and helping him be creative around that ruck area. Nikarima come to the fore in this style of game, especially with the way they were start, set starting, which is no surprise with the way Roger and Marmola were carrying the football. But, uh, you know, up until the last five minutes, they were 100% completions. They kicked him to death. Yeah, with, Forty-three straight or something. Yeah, like that. they kicked him to death with Blake Green. And the other thing they brought for the full game, which is rare for the Warriors, is defensive intent and attitude. I thought they really beat up on the Dragons, and they they did what the Dragons didn't want to do on the other side. They disrespected them for 60, 70 they minutes there. Really well. Yeah, they saved a few tries and scrambled well. They were very physical. Yeah, uh, look, I, it was a. I'd describe it as maybe a Group 3 type race. They've won a Group 3, the Warriors, so they'll play Penrith this week and the the intensity of the game will go up, but the, those core fundamentals that they got right, as long as they keep getting them right, they're going to keep getting good results, I think, the Warriors. 100%. Um, to complete that high is, you know, you're going to be in every game you play, so it's I, I think this time away and just being able to focus on footy and combinations and just getting their game right is is going to only be a huge benefit to the Warriors and the proof was in the pudding in their performance on the weekend so now it's just about that consistency and um, that's going to be the challenge for them but uh, it, people can discredit all they want um, it's, it's irrelevant they, they, their job was to win the game, uh, they were $3 outsiders I think so if people want to discredit them, no one Get them to win, yeah. including myself. So, no, neither. Um, and, and again, you were talking as everyone keeps saying on the flip side. You've got good halves, good for Origin forward pack. They've got some under, some outside backs that are supposed to be on the up. And uh, whether they were there or not for it, the Warriors certainly laid down the law. I thought that physically in all areas, they they beat them, beat up on them. They got stuck in for eighty minutes. They rolled. Um, they offloaded the footy and. They just gave it to the Dragons, even if the Dragons were on. I don't care what anyone says. The, the Warriors fully deserve that win, and, and to complete that many sets is ridiculous. Yep. Quality effort. Cup game. Yeah. Cup game. Like the Dragons just were on this game. I think the big thing for me here as well, I think a win first up after committing and coming over here will do the Warriors a, well of, uh, a world of good and hopefully keep their spirits up. The only, the only positive to come out of this game was the Warriors. Mm. Hopefully. The Dragons just... Let everyone down. Yeah. Good results or close results while they're here. And, again, they've had a couple more injuries, which have forced some more changes this week. Hopefully those results stay so they can stay up for as long as possible and hopefully get more results while they're here. Because my, my big fear was that if they get homesick, they get at these injuries like they already had and they had a couple of losses that quickly it could kind of deteriorate. But 
Um, full credit to them. No, like we, people said about Canberra situation, everyone else having to travel. No one's got a harder situation than the Warriors, and they've turned up and just been complete professionals. Unlike, like I said, the Dragons had everything to play for as well after the break, and they shit the bed. Yeah. So we'll see some changes this week on their side of things. But, yeah, McInnes, 74 tackles, put himself to a standstill. I didn't think many other guys could look themselves in the face and thought they had a really good game. But one guy I think who always has a red-hot crack, uh, Pereira, the winger. He, he's not the biggest... He's not the most talented, but he competes for every high ball. He carries hard out of yardage. He gets whacked sometimes, but certainly not going to question his effort, that's for sure. Sheck, Katawa, Tohu, Cody, there was lots of positive for the Warriors. Storm, Raiders to finish off Saturday night, 22-6. to uh, The early six again calls obviously proved a real factor in this game. They were late in the tackle counts for Melbourne. It got them on the back foot. And both the tries they conceded, they were good tries, but I was pretty disappointed particularly with the first one. When you watch the replay, that from a coaching perspective, it was a simple four and four. There was no need for Suli Vunavalu to come in on Jared Croker. Like It was a rip pass, full credit. The skill level was amazing, but he literally just left his outside man. He didn't trust his inside, and that left the room for him to execute that pass and give the first try. The second one, they rolled upfield. They were stripped short, so they were infield kind of backpedaling and Williams threw a cracker pass and Kotrick's finish was all class as well. Um, but yeah, that, that first one in particular was a, a bit of bother. But yeah, Melbourne kind of had errors. They struggled to roll a little bit before the Raiders off Hodgson was just so quick out of dummy half, chewing up that space and getting early ball to his halves. In particular, Jack. Jack looked really, really good just coming onto the football and, and powering upfield. But uh, the amount of chances and possession that Melbourne had inside 20 and just blowing opportunities. Uh, I, I think, again, people already sounding alarm bells are silly, and in particular of all teams to be saying things about, like, oh, they're done, they've got no hurt, this, that, and the other. I completely disagree with that. But there certainly needs to be an adjustment in attack. Uh, they need to find a little bit more balance. They obviously look good on the left, and I thought Munster really enjoyed the open spaces and the rules, but there were some uncharacteristic errors there, like the amount of... Just poor drops and like Nelson a soft Simona. You, you don't know what play you're getting week in, week out. One week he's an absolute beast. One week he's dropping balls or he doesn't look interested. And when he put that kick in, I thought that just summed up Melbourne's night. Yeah, that was Melbourne. That that did sum up Melbourne's night. Disorganised, um, distracted, off task, undisciplined. They were very um, un Melbourne. And really, they they were in that game up until their ears for the majority of it. So. Canberra were good. Um, again, key position players. They did their job uh, in a different, difficult environment, having to fly up and fly back. And there's a lot of things that made it more difficult for Canberra to prepare for this match than, than the storm. And you just expect Bellamy sides to start well and play better than that. And he said he was embarrassed by the performance afterwards. And that doesn't surprise me because it was very uh, unlike any team that he usually runs out from the field but I expect that they'll be better this week and I'm not going to overreact I'm just going to consume the games for the first four weeks and just form some opinions after that yeah and again I think uh, as we said they've, they've got a little bit more adjusting to do than someone like Canberra whose team probably suits the way the game's gone as far as their halves their nine in particular outside backs and the way they like to play the game but uh, well it does while George Williams is playing like that 100% rolling 
getting to run the football. He actually proved the point to me. Like, I didn't watch him much in England, so I didn't know how he was defensively, but he was pretty strong. Yeah, but again, we've got a three-game sample size. Yeah. It's about consistency. Oh, I'm with you, 100%. But Hodgson, uh, big rap in this one. The kicking game, the control around there. Papali's 200th. He's been a hell of a player, but in particular, these last couple of years, when he's got into really good shape and taken his game to a whole new level, um, he was good again on the weekend. And I think the other thing, just for Canberra, they're just finding... You know, finding more out of guys that you wouldn't have expected. I think Dunamis Louis, who was in, he was my age group, he was the Australian schoolboy front row. But for years there, was one for me. I was like, oh yeah, my God. he's awesome off the bench. Great game on the weekend. He was huge, and he's only a baby too. But like someone like Louis was this guy that was supposed to. He was the gun in our group, and he was that dude that went to three or four clubs, and you thought he's just not going to be anybody. Now he's finally playing some good football. He's got a good role there. Soliola does a role. Gula is going to be a hell of a player. He ticked all those boxes coming through. They got him early from South Sydney. Like they've got a really good group there. And um, after all the Bateman talk the week before, like honestly, if his head's not in the game, I don't even think they need Bateman. Like, if he's not on board, yeah, exactly. And it just proves that point again. Like he either wants to be there and with this group and, and push for a title and have another crack at it, or he doesn't. Yeah. So I, I think that kind of result and hopefully more results next few weeks if he's not healthy and got his head elsewhere, um, you know, push him to either well, stay on board. Now, three and a half million dollar deal at Wigan. Well, that, that's the only other thing I was going to say. Like, money's one thing and I will give him one thing. He didn't he didn't bullshit and say this, that and the other. He said it's all for his daughter and he's looking out for her, which I can completely understand. But if he's also homesick, if that's part of it and they're offering 700000 a year, um, you know, Isaac Moses or the manager over here basically already duffed him by knocking back the deal that he got offered for 800 last year. Now he's trying to get it back off Canberra and they've made a grand final and spent money on all the rest of their roster. So if you can tick two boxes, get close to that sort of money and go home to his daughter, well then, you know, all power to him. But our, to our point last week, I don't see how getting 800 or 750, that little bit extra, to go play for the Bulldogs or the Titans or someone else is going to be fulfilling at all. I'd, I'd rather stay at Canberra for 600, 650, whatever he's on and win, then go play for someone for an extra 100000 So, uh, it, for me, it would be Canberra, or it'd be that English deal, if that's a possibility. I wouldn't be going anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, great result for the Raiders. Looking forward to seeing them continue to develop moving forward. Really suited, like we said, those couple of players, particularly on the spine. Great games for them. For Melbourne, uh, error and discipline. Both absolutely piss poor. The yardage was terrible. Vunavalu. He hasn't played well for a couple of years now. I know he's leaving, but I hopefully find some form. Addo Carr I thought was absent. Munster and Dale Fanuke and all those guys look good. Tino off the bench, disappointing. Solomon disappointing. A few guys I think this week would have got a rocket, that's for sure. Uh, yep. Nelson suspended. Nelson would have been the first one. He's suspended now. Um, so Still would have got a rocket. Tui Kamakamika, I think, will be back. We'll look later on. Welch in, and I saw that Riley Jacks is on the bench, even though we've got Hughes and that in the half, so I found that interesting. Yeah, well, that tells you where Craig Bellamy's mind's at. We'll wait and see. Panthers, Newcastle, 14 all. Uh, what else could you say about Newcastle? You, you couldn't give them any more raps. Like, to lose Pierce, Watson within the first 10 or 12 minutes it was, with already Ponga missing, a debutant at fullback. Then you have a debutant coming at hooker and yet another debutant forward on the bench. They've already got a couple of young outside backs playing. Best is back for only, you know, he's 
third or fourth game off an injury. Tuala's still only played a handful of games at the Cowboys. Huge, huge burden on them, and they were down early. Penrith took advantage, got to their edges, had lots of possession. They turned away a few times, but you're eventually going to crack. But uh, they steadied the ship, and to be honest, the Newcastle of last year would have got lit up by 50 or 60 points. But this Newcastle side defended their asses off, kept themselves in this game. Their two origin front rowers laid a hell of a platform for them to play off the back of Safidi and Clemmer were great. And his brother Jacob's coming along. He made a good contribution again, and uh, they just chipped away. They chipped away for the whole game and somehow got themselves into a position to head to Golden Point. Penrith missed a stack of field goals. Um, they probably dodged a few bullets in Newcastle, but uh, they, they gritted their way to a 14 all draw and they deserve their point. It's as good as a win for them, considering you lost Pierce and um, Connor Watson early. So uh, Penrith missed Cleary, clearly. Burton and Luai. Uh, Burton probably had a better game than Luai. I suppose. Um, Burton did all the play kicking. He looked to control. I was really disappointed with Jerome. I expected him to take control of that game. Yeah, a good game. Probably the game of the weekend, really. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was close, but um, yeah, I certainly wasn't expecting it to be close once those two boys went down for the Knights. Uh, but to their credit, that's, that's who they are. They're tough. Side, and that's why I think they'll be in the eight this year. Yeah, certainly some positive signs. Adam O'Brien would have been stoked. I'm pretty sure Pierce will be right this week. Ponga comes back. I'm not sure about Watson, though. If that's a high ankle sprain, he might be missing for a bit. But McCulloch, uh, he would have had a week to learn everything, so I'm sure he's been named. And Chris Randall, most tackles on debut, he certainly acquitted himself very well and showed he's ready to go, as did Tex Hoy. So that good group, which you've got to give some credit to Nathan Brown for the groundwork he laid. That um, there's a real good crop there right now with a new coach bringing a few little extra bits to to the mix and things are looking good for Newcastle. Yeah. So good signs, but uh, for Penrith, still have a similar opinion again that the spine I'm not completely settled on. Like Nath and Coruscant, yep, 100% on that. Is it Jerome with Nath? I think he works well with Nath. Does Burton work with Nathan as well and Jerome? Well, Tyrone Mayer will probably get a crack when he comes back. That's the thing. They've got a couple of guys there. Who Who's the one who suits? Who gets that 14 role? They've got Mitch Kenny this week. I know he's a good tackler and he's a pretty solid sort of nine, but I don't think he'd be my option there. And then fullback. Like Aitkins and Edwards, to me, are the same player. And Crichton replaced Naden at centre. But I honestly think if you're going to do it any other way now, if they're not going to take the idea of Burton Cleary and, say, a Luai who can ball play to one, I'd even prefer to have Crichton go to one and have Naden in the centres than not have Naden in the side at all. I, like, I'm not sold on Aitkins or Edwards as the fullback. I'm really not. Yeah. I think there's a way some, to get... Some chopping and change to be done, no doubt. Yeah. So there's a few things to be sorted. Catewell's debut, uh, solid player. Him and Kikau, really good edge combo. Still really like the way Penrith's heading with their forwards, Fisher-Harris, etc. But... Uh, They've shown one thing in their first three games. They're patchy. When they're up and they're running, they're really, really good. But they've also shown that when they switch off, things get really, really bad. They almost blew the Dragons game. They pulled it out. They were down early to the Roosters. They pulled it out. And then this game, 14 zip, a couple of blokes go off, should have iced it, and they couldn't get it done. So need to find more consistency within 80 minutes, that's for sure. Yeah, 
Last one, Manly Dogs. Uh, it was one-way traffic. What else do you say? They they blew them off the park um, again. Whatever. Yeah, dogs hung in for a little while there early, but yeah, once the wheels got rolling on Manly, they were too good. Yeah, effort and energy is generally always there, but they get nothing really out of their spine. Uh, they're not the best quality halves, no matter what combination they work with. When foreign's not there, nothing really happens. Marshall King's just doing a basic job at nine. They don't get much out of there. The forward pack, they're okay. The back line, they're okay. They're very tradesman-like across the park, but there's no game breakers. There's no real points. There's no real creativity. Um, and then you have a side like Manly Rock up who just blow the doors off. You have DCE, Jake chipping in, Dylan Walker, who's growing in that role. Two massive front row, mobile front rollers who made things easy for a guy like Levi, who suits this style. Now I'm pushing off the ball. And I think the other bit, like we said last year, and again, the first few rounds, the underrated part of this team is still both their edges. The back row pairing of Surinan and Thompson and Parker and Sully are improving out of sight. There's a lot to like about Manly. The only question we have still is the depth if they have injuries. So, good signs again. Um, but this week they play Parramatta, so I'm really interested to watch this yeah, game. can't wait. Crack a game. And this is one of those games you want to see, okay, their best side on the park against the team that's considered a top four team. This is a real gauge of where they're at. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, there you go. Reviews for the week, Boxhead. Finish up with uh, a preview of round four and our tips and... Last week, uh, bar the draw, you got five, I got four. We both started off three from three, but then I was super Saturday. I went down in flames, Dragon, Shark, Storm, all losing. So totals now, you're 18, I'm on 17. So cracking things open, having a look. The first game we've got this week, the Broncos, again, get a home game Thursday night up against the Roosters. They're significant changes here. Jesse Arthur's goes into the centres now with Stag suspended. Herbie Farmworth goes to the wing. Ethan Bullimore's in the back row because Alex Glenn is out with that leg cut. Uh, Tessie New has been named on the bench along with Reese Kennedy. They're talking that he'll make his debut so I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up in the starting lineup somehow or there was a reshuffle there. There's also talk now that Jake Turpin sat out today and he might be injured so Corey Pakes might make his debut uh, for the Roosters. Everyone's on board except Radley. We're not sure if he's been suspended or not. I'm not sure if he went to the judiciary. Yeah, he's going to go, I think. Was that tonight or was it not tonight? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've just, I'll have a look as you go. I've just refreshed. He's not guilty. He's free to play. So there you go. There you go. So he's never been charged. With him in, they have the exact same side, 1-17, to 17, and they've got Tokiaho and Orbison, 18-19. So they've got options to be even better. Uh, if I'm being completely honest here, I think with the lack of players already, let alone those injuries, I think the Roosters may towel up the Broncos. Yeah, Roosters. It's uh, not exactly the best situation when you've got that many bodies missing as far as they're concerned. Um, really interested to see, like I said, how they get Tessie New out there with those outside backs, but the forward pack, those injuries have just hit so suddenly and, the, and that suspension of Pungai Jr. and Lodge trying to recover, it's it's a lot of pressure very, very early. But the odds on this one, $1.36 are the Roosters, three ten for the Broncos, minus 7.5 is the line in that one. 
First Friday night game, Panthers-Warriors out there at Campbelltown Stadium for the Panthers. Liam Martin replaces Billy Burns on the interchange. He was pulled out last week for the Warriors. Peter Hicku and Ignatius Parsi are both out. Uh, Carl Lawton now has to play in the centres with the, the shortage they've got. And Poasa Famasuli from the Roosters jumps onto the bench this week with Josh Curran. Uh, I, I don't think two weeks in a row... They'll be able to sustain it, but I think if the Panthers play as patchy as they have the last few weeks, there's definitely a potential for an upset, but I'm going to stick with the Panthers. Yeah. A hard one, man. I'll go Panthers, but with Nathan out, I'd be a lot more confident if he was playing. Mm. And again, this week, Crichton's named in the centres. Last week, he replaced Naden altogether. Uh, Naden's in 18... I'm not sure what suddenly brought that on. If it was something over the break, it was something just they want Crichton in. They've said he's their number one goal kicker, so that's another reason they want to get him in there. But I just, yeah, I think Aikens is solid. Edwards is the same deal, but I just think Crichton maybe to one and have Naden in centres makes you a better all-around team. I don't know. I just think any of those options or Burton and Luai going to the back, I like all those options at fullback and all-around for the team more than I like Edwards and Aikens. So, yeah, not sure about that. But the odds for this one, the Penny Panthers, they're $1.45, 275 for the Warriors, minus 6.5 is the line in this game. The second Friday night game, Storm versus South down there in Melbourne. As far as Melbourne's concerned, a Solomona has been suspended. Welch moves into start. Riley Jacks comes onto the bench. And I thought Momorowski... Might get a run this week over Sevo, but that's not the case. I'm not sure what's going on there because he's not even in the reserves. The reserves are Branko Lee, Albert Vette, Darren Shonig, and Chris Lewis. Um, so that that one's still got me a little confused. But for the Rabbitohs, the only change, Paddy Mago was named last week. He's back on the bench this week for Tom uh, Amone. So definitely something they need off their bench. Uh, Melbourne were bad last week. Nelson being out does hurt. Tui's still not back from his injury, so their, their bench is a little bit more lightweight this week, but I'm not going to back Melbourne to lose two in a row. Nah, Storm. Cody Walker's still missing as well. Uh, Dargan, I thought, was solid on debut, but, um, yeah, still sticking. Sounds like the Raiders. No. Nah. Melbourne will be better. That's right. And the odds for this one, $1.40 for the Storm, two ninety five for the Bunnies, minus 7.5 is the line on that one. First game to kick off Saturday, 5.30 game. There's only two Saturday games, obviously, this weekend with a long weekend. Monday game, Parramatta-Manly, ripper game to kick things off. Parramatta unchanged after they smashed the Broncos last week. And for Manly, they're also unchanged. So two stacked sides going head-to-head. What do you like in this one, Boxhead? Uh, Parra. Sticking with the Eels? Yeah, I'll go Whitehurst. But I think Manly will have... Uh, a different type of game plan to try and unsettle with them, knowing Des Hasler, so it'll be interesting viewing. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm slightly leaning towards uh, the Eels, but I think this is a much harder challenge in particular with the forward pack this week. The Broncos, obviously a little undermanned last week, obviously better control in the halves area as well with Cherry Evans and a lot more strike around the field all around from the spine. Um Better defensively on the edges as well. I think it's going to be a real real test both ways. But good signs from Parra last week, so I'll give them slight favour. But 
wouldn't surprise me if Manly got up. And the odds for this one, if you like the outsider, you get two thirty for Manly. Dollar sixty two for Parra. Minus three and a half is the line in that game. Sharks, Sharkies up against North Queensland in North Queensland. Uh, Tamalo out, as I said, massive loss. So Josh Maguire moves to lock. Francis Molo to prop. Tommy Gilbert, I'm pretty sure this may be his debut game. Young bloke they brought to their system. And Gavin Cooper come onto the bench. And uh, for the Sharks, Chad Townsend is out. So Matt Moylan goes into the halves. And on the bench, they've brought in Connor Tracy and Sasifa Talakai. And Billy Magulis has been pushed out to 18th man. This is this is a hard game to tip. Mm. I'm just looking at the Ford packs. He hasn't named Andrew the feeder at all, has he? You know he hasn't. Oh. I'm gonna go Cowboys. So I think I'm gonna go the cows just because it's up there. But yeah. No for feeder. Chad's out. You've got Moylan playing in the halves. Like, again, in the front line, if they don't go forward, Woods, Rudolph, the bench. Like, Talakai was a center winger who's now turned into a back rower. Um, yeah, I, I'll stick with the Cowboys, but I don't have a lot of confidence in this game. I definitely wouldn't be betting on it. But the odds on this one, $1.65 for the Cowboys. They're the favorites. Two twenty-five for the Sharks. Minus 3.5 is the line. Sunday starts off with a blockbuster. You got the Raiders up against Newcastle at Campbelltown. But Bailey Simonson returns this week. Jordan Rapana goes back to the bench for them. And for the Newcastle Knights, Caelan Pong is back. Tex Hoy is going to the bench. McCulloch gets his first start in at nine. Good timing, considering they've got no Braley and no Watson. SASA back to lock. Glasby back to the bench and Chris Randall. He had a great game last week, but he's out to the reserves. And Mitchell Pearce, he's at seven. And Bradman Best, he started late inclusion last week, uh, but he is now starting centre. Shibasaki out of the side. Uh, I'm going to go the Raiders. Just off, again, what we saw last week. Uh, Ponga being back is big. Pearce, if he's good to go, that's big as well. But I still think maybe this is a bigger test after a massive game last week and getting the draw. So maybe a little bit shorter in the petrol tank, but just still a couple of young guys there. I think Tawala and Best, this will be a real test of those two guys, in particular on the edges defensively. Um, and I just think the Raiders get a little bit more out of their bench than what the uh, Knights are going to get out of, say, Brody Jones and Tim Glasby. Yeah, I'm going to go the Knights. I'm going to go the upset. Boom. I think it might be one of the first weeks we see a little bit of wear out of Canberra. All right. oh, the odds of that one, $1.36 are the Raiders. three ten. so good value there. If you like the outsider and the Knights, the line, minus 8.5. So if you like the start yeah, even there. My, my bet would be, yeah, back the Knights with the start. Good start there if you like to put that in. 8.5 uh, great. Last game, Sunday night, your mob. It's uh, the Titans at Suncorp up against the Tigers. A host of changes again. Roberts has been named at fullback again, but he pulled out last week, so we'll see what happens there. Aaron Clark, second game up straight away, starting at hooker. Tanner Boyd's in on the bench with Jamin Joliffe, Bryce Cartwright and young Tonamapaya. Nathan Peets, Jared Wallace, Jai Whitbread and Jonas Pearson have all been dropped out of the side. And the other name that's not mentioned here, but he's not in the 21 at all, is Shannon Boyd. So 
he's, he's reached for basically any of those guys like we spoke about that are on these deals and not doing their job and just giving them the flip. Um, I don't blame him. Um, I'd rather have young, energetic guys and see what I've got to work with moving forward before you try and delve into the market. Hopefully in a few more weeks we see young Bo for more. There was talk today that Corey Thompson's now surplus to requirement the Tigers. I think he'd be a great buy for the Titans. Um, so, you know, guys like that, Philip Semi, Kelly when he's having a crack, you know, let Fogarty have a real go. It's about time he got this sort of opportunity. Fotoweka. Uh, Hipgrave's still got some stupidity in his game, but if he can actually just play some football and keep his nose clean, um, there's, there's some guys there to work with, I guess. But in this game, like, no, uh, you, you're going with the Tigers. You, you can't take the Tigers. Yeah, until the Titans show something. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't want to say it, it'll get ugly, but I think off the ability to score points and how loose the Titans were, particularly in the second half, I think this Tigers team could tear them to pieces. I think this could be a real field day for someone like Luke Brooks in particular. Mm, but I don't know, I'm not that confident. But no changes for the Tigers. They've stuck with the same 17. Uh, yeah. And the odds for that one, 310 outsiders are the Gold Coast Titans. $1.36 for the Tigers and minus 7.5 is the line in the last game of the round. Uh early sort of preview to Battle of the Bottoms. It's the Dogs versus the Dragons and the Battle of the Coaches who are potentially going to get fired as well if things don't turn around with all the talk. But for the Bulldogs, Kieran Foran, he returns in the halves. Jack Cogger is out of the side. Other than that, uh, you know, there's a slight reshuffle, but just guys in off the bench and back to the bench, nothing else. For the Dragons, though, Corey Norman goes to fullback. Matt Dufty is out of the side. Adam Clune. Gets his debut at halfback. Josh Kerr starts in the front row. Corbin Sims has dropped altogether. And the bench now has Trent Merrin and Isaac Luke. And Tyrell Fuimana is dropped out of the side. This is a difficult one to tip, mate. Where are you going? I'm going to go the dogs. I just think they're going to play more kicker than what the Dragons are at the moment, or that, at least from what I've seen. Uh, I think the Dragons got the better team. But yeah. The, the body language and the, the way that they played on Saturday, I, I won't tip the Dragons now until I see something from them. Well, I'm with you. I, the Bulldogs, at least I know the Dogs will turn up and have a go. 100% with you. Uh, I think Foreign, obviously, a big inclusion as well. Certainly relieves a lot around him. My opinion for Bulldogs fans out there, I think the best halves combination moving forward, if he's healthy, is I want Jake Avrilo playing six. I think Jake Avrilo brings one thing that none of them do in the halves there, which is a genuine explosiveness and the ability to run the football and be just dangerous. Like Lachlan Lewis doesn't threaten to me at all. He kind of plays awkwardly and at his own pace and just kicks the ball and defends solid. Cogger, yeah. Wakeham's good with the ball, but, you know, again, a bit sporadic. I think Avarillo with four and would be the way I'd like to see things for the rest of the year. But uh, right now, Avarillo's got that 14 role by the looks of things, but... I'm going to tip the Dragons with absolutely zero faith. I think you're on the right money track. I'd probably be better off going with the Bulldogs, but it's at a point here, regardless of McGregor's job, I just think for a lot of these blokes, in particular your Ben Hunts, your Corey Normans, and a couple of these origin forwards, James Graham even ageing and not playing so like they need to pull their finger out and show something. Uh, if it's not this week, yeah, I, I don't know when. They're not going to get a better opportunity, but... No surprise, the bookies, they don't want to borrow this one. It's a pick-em game, a dollar ninety a piece. Yeah, I'll 
That doesn't surprise me. Nope. They don't even know what way to go either. So we were split on it. The bookies are basically saying, give your money either way because we don't know. But looking at that box head, pretty consistent uh, across the board besides Knights and Raiders and that Dogs and Dragons game. Interesting to see how things play out this weekend, five-day weekend. So for everybody out there with uh, some of the restrictions starting to be lifted, enjoy yourselves, stay safe, enjoy the long weekend, and I guess, you know, always great to have football for five days rather than four. Absolutely. Have you have you got a best bet, mate? I know we haven't really jumped on that no, last I week. Yeah, I, I... Still want to take it in for a few weeks? I think the Roosters are win, I think. The storm will win, and I'd probably take um, uh, take the Knights as an outsider. If you're not as confident, take them with the start. But um, they're probably the three. Uh, I, I changed my tack last week. The first two weeks, I was confident under the old rules and the, the settled preseason. I had a couple of three leggers that got up and won me a decent crack. Last week, I just thought Manly would smash the dogs, so I took them 13-plus, and I won, I think, like 120 or something off a of $50 bet. easy have got a promotion on the Roosters game. Yeah, what are they uh, offering? You get two times double your winnings on head-to-head bets, so I've already backed, backed the Roosters forty, so you get eighty. Yeah. Well, against the Broncos. I think that's money for James. I've got a bonus bet. Um... And to be honest, with all the changes they've got, that was the game I was looking at. I was looking at the Roosters 13 plus at 270. I know that's probably a bit outlandish, but from what I saw last week and the players that they're potentially going to be missing, the Broncos, uh, it's a free $50 spin. So I'll obviously lose that part. But if you take that out, I'd probably win like 70 bucks after the $50 dividend. 85, I think. So, yeah, I think that'll be my free spin this weekend with that bonus bet. I reckon I'm going to take the Roosters 13 plus over the, the Broncos while they're busted up and missing players. But, Smart. Yeah, free roll of the dice, why not? Yeah, get on. Well, there you go, everybody out there. Back in full swing, one round under the belt, a couple more weeks to go. Let's keep seeing how these teams, coaches and everyone adjusts to the style of play. Hopefully things stay consistent and enjoyable. No, there's no controversies, but week one, Brock, uh, so far, so good. Good sample. Yeah, we're talking about on-field, not off-field. I know. Good. How good. But for everybody Speaking out there... Off-field, I just... Fox Sports have published an article saying that Spud and Gallon have had a war of words today. Yeah, didn't really pay attention, Big to be honest. Spud, Big Spud Carroll said... Um, Carl telephoned 2GB host Mark Levy to congratulate him on penning a column stipulating Sherry should be banned for life. Um, and he says, I can't believe this kid did this and now Gallon wants to back him to say it was okay. Are you cracking jokes, mate? <laughs> 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 um, oh, wow. So Gal got, Gal got um, slapped on the wrist for what he did and he got away with it. Um, Gallon then hit back by telling 2GB, I just love a big, tough guy with a big mouth. Excellent. Let's see him fight. I was Mark Carroll probably three or four months ago. I was with him doing a luncheon and he didn't even... He shook my hand, we were best mates face-to-face. And now he wants to get on radio and say things like that. Be a man. Um, And then 
know, Carol's got on, called him a coward. So, got on, got on Fox, Fox Oof. Sports and unloaded. Carol right. was lucky, got off as light as he did. Look at what Sando got four years, at least he took it on the chin. Wow. All right, charity fight. Let's go. Yeah, good. So only one thing. My girl, the gal, only got a few games and a kangaroo two up. He was supposed to be the leader at Cronulla. That's not leadership. That's throwing young blokes under the bus. The bus. That's the real definition of a coward. <laughs> oh, he hasn't missed him. Anything <laughs> got into him? Ooh. I don't. I Gallon don't. Gallon doesn't like it either. Gallon doesn't like. It. People getting at, getting at him. Nah, and I'm not a big fan of what Spud says all the time, but he's he's certainly got to be under his butter on this one. So I just they can fight. I'm sick of footballers getting exorbitant amounts of money though instead of the real boxes. But if they want to have a charity fight and do it for a good cause, let some steam off, boys. Mm. Throw down. Fight. Fight. Russell Crowe, South Park style. You want to fight? <laughs> so yeah, that's there you go. Good way to finish. <laughs> Super, yeah. Nah, there you go. Everyone, rate, review us on iTunes, jump on board, Audio Boom, Spotify, uh, listen to the podcast, keep sharing us with any other league lovers, any feedback. We'll get some fan questions going uh, in a couple of weeks as things start to pick up again and we roll into the season. Um, anything you want to talk about, as always, you can inbox us on Twitter, Facebook, and everything in between. Get on the Twitter page, get on the Facebook page, send us some messages, rate and review, like I said again, on iTunes. And for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on, give us more, give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? <laughs>